to Wendell's World in Sports. Let's be great. Let's be great. An entertaining and provocative look into the world of sports and beyond. Play our game. Right, cool. Play hard, but stay poised. Please feel free to go over to Apple iTunes and rate and review. Your feedback is welcome. Go rock this thing, huh? Love you, man. Let's go get it. And now, the host of the program from the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Wendell Wallace. And welcome to Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to discuss today in the world of sports. Yes, even though the coronavirus has put everything on hold, there are some things to discuss. I'm not talking about the NBA. I'm not talking about March Madness. I'm not talking about the NHL. I'm not talking about uh, UFC events. I'm talking about the NFL free agency. Thank you very much, NFL, for continuing to give us something to do while we're on on hiatus because of this insidious situation that has afflicted all of our lives, our normal everyday lives. But the NFL free agency, the biggest news, of course, probably the biggest free agent news since Peyton Manning signed the Denver Broncos about six or seven years ago, Tom Brady, formerly of the New England Patriots. But Tom Brady has now signed with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Tom Brady has officially put Tampa Bay, Florida on the map in in our conscious. Not the Tampa Bay Lightning, not the Tampa Bay Rays, but yes, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are now something to behold, something to pay attention to, something to respect coming up for the upcoming NFL season because Tom Brady has signed with them two years, I believe somewhere around $50 million. Um, He announced it, what, Thursday morning that he would not, well, no, Tuesday morning, excuse me, he Uh, announced that he would not be returning to the Patriots in 2020. A verbal decision on where the QB would land was not expected to come until Wednesday at the earliest. But you know what, man? He was like, fuck that. Let me get this this over with. So came down between the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Los Angeles Chargers, the Miami Dolphins. And then we had the Las Vegas Raiders still having an outside shot. Really didn't believe that one. I thought myself that he would be going with the Los Angeles Chargers. I thought because of the structure that they had. I thought because of the weapons that they had around them. I thought because maybe some of the outside, off-the-field opportunities that he might have moving forward, I thought that that would maybe entice him more than anything else to take his talents to L.A. And I was just thinking, and you heard me on many podcasts before when I was speaking about the speculation on when I thought that the best destination for Tom Brady to go would be to the Los Angeles Chargers. I just thought, man, L.A. was going to be the capital of Everything sports in North America. If you're speaking about in baseball with the Dodgers being as good as they were going to be and now getting Mookie Betts, if you're speaking about the basketball, the NBA, where you have LeBron James with the Los Angeles Lakers along with Anthony Davis and with the Los Angeles Clippers, you have Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. And now you would bring Tom Brady over to the LA market for the NFL. I thought that would just be the perfect trifecta for LA being the central hub of everything that went down as far as sports is concerned. But no, it didn't happen. He went over to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And one of the reasons, according to Jim Trotter of the NFL media, why Brady didn't go to the Chargers was because of family considerations. His family wouldn't be making the move with him regardless of where he went. And they're based, of course, in the East Coast. Moving to Los Angeles for Brady, for Tom, would make it difficult for him to see his family and his children. 
Once the NFL season started, we all know how dedicated of an athlete and a student of the game that Tom Brady is in terms of always trying to get better just because he's been in the league 20, 21 years. That doesn't mean that all of a sudden now he's going to put the take the foot off the pedal in that regard. So if he was going to make this move to the West Coast and leave his family on the East Coast, which was the plan in terms of his family not going to any team that he was going to be playing for in this upcoming season that he figured that going all the way out to Los Angeles would not be good to leave his family in the East Coast and him playing football in the West Coast. So, you know what? He went ahead and signed with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And now, again, as I mentioned before, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as an NFL franchise and as an NFL destination and as an NFL contender, a team that's a contender, is now is now there with Tom Brady signing with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. You know, the assumed leader for his services, because on the one hand, speaking about Tom Brady signing with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I thought that it would have been the Los Angeles Chargers. But of course, if it wasn't the Chargers, the assumed leader for his services when the season first ended was Tom Brady was going to probably be the, the best fit for Tom Brady would probably be the Tennessee Titans. And we talked about the defense. We talked about the relationship that he had with the head coach for the Titans, uh, for the Titans, him being a coach on the staff with Bill Belichick when Brady was playing for the Patriots, Mike Vrabel. We were speaking about um, the weapons that he had, the fact that he had a really good running back in Derrick Henry, the fact that they were in a more winnable division, and which is we were talking about the AFC South. So the assume... The assumption was if he was going to leave the New England Patriots, speaking about Tom Brady, that he would go over to the Tennessee Titans. But nah, man, that talk ended on Sunday, and it came from mainly the Tennessee Titans side of things. Because according to the NFL Network, they re-signed Ryan Tannehill to a four-year deal worth around $118 million, with $62 million of that guaranteed. So after that, it was like, all right, so what are we down to here? Now it almost got to the discussion of, okay, if the Tennessee Titans were off the table in terms of where he could have signed, is Brady now, is it, is it inevitable that he's either going to go to the L.A. Chargers or is he going to return to the New England Patriots? I don't think anybody really saw the Tampa Bay Buccaneers coming. Yes, there was some talk a little bit about, hey, you know, Bruce Aarons was making the point. He said in interviews that he would love to have Tom Brady, but many people, many prognosticators thought that it was either going to come down once Tennessee left the discussion of where Tom Brady could move to. It was going to be coming down to him returning to the Tampa, to, excuse me, to the New England Patriots or move over to the West Coast and go to the LA Chargers. And there was even some talk about him possibly going to the San Francisco 49ers, that was another team that was rumored to get Brady. According to Chris Sims, what he said on Pro Football Talk Live, that the 49ers had been one of his top choices or had been his top choice of free agency. If you remember, Tom Brady grew up in San Mateo, which is the Bay Area. He grew up being a San Francisco 49er fan with Joe Montana as their quarterback. And we're speaking about a San Francisco 49er team that was playing in the Super Bowl and Basically, a lot of people would say was only a quarterback away from winning the Super Bowl over Kansas City, that San Francisco was in a win-now mode, that of course they would make the change from Jimmy Garoppolo to go over to Tom Brady. But that wasn't to be also. The 49ers rebuked those type of rumors by saying, no, 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 we're good, we're fine. Jimmy Garoppolo is our quarterback. 
And what Kristen again said on PFT Live, he said it was Tom Brady's number one choice to go to San Francisco and be the starting quarterback. And Sims also said that the 49ers eventually decided to pursue, not to pursue Tom Brady. And of course, that was the right decision, I think. Everybody's sitting there talking about, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo this and Jimmy Garoppolo this and Jimmy Garoppolo can't do this and Jimmy Garoppolo can't do that. Hey, it was the wise decision for John Lynch to pass on Tom Brady. And I know you could say that, you know what, the 49ers were just a quarterback away. And moving into the next season, we don't know for sure, especially now with the coronavirus, you know, having the potential to push back the season, the eliminations of OTAs and mini camps and everything like that for Brady to come in and get to know these guys, to get to work with these guys, get to learn their receivers, get to learn a new system. I think it was wise for the San Francisco 49ers to stand put, to stay put and stay with the quarterback that they have, that they know that the quarterback that they feel more comfortable with moving forward, if this is a truncated season or if the season is broken up where you're going to be missing time with their with your teammates to be practicing, to be getting together and doing some things. I thought that the 49ers made the right decision in that regard to bring back a guy who already knows their system, who already has chemistry with the wide receiver, who always already has a good relationship with the head coach and what he wants to do, speaking of Kyle Shanahan. So it was the right decision to bring back Jimmy Garoppolo, both short-term and long-term. Tom Brady's going to be 43 years old. Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be only 28 years old. And last season, Garoppolo had career best in completion percentage, which was around 70%. Touchdown passes, he threw 27. He threw for almost 4,000 yards and compiling a QB rating of 102. So with Garoppolo, the ceiling has still not been hit yet. And there's still some good things to accomplish for Jimmy Garoppolo. And I think that he has the coaching, he has the talent to get those things done, especially when you're speaking about him as a regular uh, starting quarterback for the 49ers, his regular season in 2019 was 13 and three, and he brings back a career mark of 21 and five as a starting quarterback is concerned. So you can sit there and you can talk about the only reason why the San Francisco 49ers made it to the Super Bowl was because of their unbelievable defense and their great front four. And you could talk about how he was, Jimmy Garoppolo was uh, lifted up and was a positive situation for him to be working with a running back, with the running backs that San Francisco had. But in the end, 13-3 and last season, 21-5, and shall we forget when Garoppolo was asked on multiple occasions to put up numbers that were more than 300 yards passing to throw more than two or three touchdowns a game. If you remember the game against the New Orleans Saints on the road, he definitely had the ability to do that by showing you that he could do something like that. And I think that he's only going to get better moving forward. Speaking of Garoppolo. So again, it was the correct decision, even if it was true that Tom Brady thought or Tom Brady wanted to go back to San Francisco. That was his number one choice and that it was the San Francisco 49ers, the team that said, nah, that's fine. We're cool with Jimmy Garoppolo. I think that that was a right decision, both again in the short term, and in the long term, and especially if you have the opportunity, if you're Jimmy Garoppolo and the San Francisco 49ers, if you have uh, Kira Maria coming back every so often to say hello to those guys, that is definitely a plus. And if you know, if you don't know who Kira Maria is, look her up, Wikipedia, but make sure that you're 18 and older, kids. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. So 
the Tampa, so Tampa Bay is the destination for Tom Brady, and it was almost a situation where maybe when everything was all said and done, a lot of teams looked at the quarterback situation, they looked at their current situation with the quarterbacks, and then they looked at the 43-year-old Tom Brady, who was still good. I'm not saying he fell off the cliff. I'm not saying all of a, all of a sudden he became Blake Bortles, but this was a guy who knows he can no longer be that guy that can put a franchise, who can put an offense on his back and lead them to the Super Bowl. He can still be a cog in the system to be that quarterback to make enough plays for the offense to be efficient enough with a pretty good defense for that team to compete for a championship, to compete for a Super Bowl. But the Tom Brady that we once knew and loved and his body of work, proclaiming him to be the greatest football player, the greatest quarterback of all time, that Tom Brady is not walking through that door. So I think a lot of these guys, especially at 43 years of age again, so I think a lot of these teams who might have maybe been intrigued about the services of Tom Brady. I think they backed off, but I think that Tom realized that, you know what, there's only a, infinite, a, a small amount of teams for me to take a look at, and even a smaller amount of teams that I could really go to and have a chance to win football games. If he's looking to play till he's about 46 years of age, that means he only has two or three seasons. So I'm not going to be going to a rebuilding type of team. I'm not going to be going to a team that need where I need to groom and learn and coach the wide receivers and the offensive coordinators and the head coach and stuff to my way of things so I can do what I need to do like I was doing when I was in New England. No, that Tom Brady is not there anymore. And those teams that might have been interested in Tom Brady saw the age and said, no, nah, that's okay, we're good. But Tampa Bay was almost the best situation of not too many teams being interested in Tom Brady's services. So one of the reasons, I think that's one of the reasons why he chose Tampa Bay in a small market for his services. The Tampa Bay was the best one. If you're taking a look at the team, if you're taking a look at the conference, if you're taking a look at the division, if you're taking a look at the proximity of how he could get home to his wife and his children, I think Tampa Bay was the best fit for him. And you have to also remember that Tampa Bay is returning not one, but two thousand yard receivers in Mike Evans and Chris Goodwin. And in fact, if you take a look at the increase of talent, if you take a look at the skill possessions, position players, when you compare the Buccaneers to the New England Patriots, without question, without a doubt, it is clearly obvious that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have the much better weapons than the New England Patriots. If you just take a look at uh, Chris Godwin and Mike Evans, I mean, they finished the year with more receiving yards than the Patriots top five receivers combined. Are you speaking about Julian Edelman and Philip Dorsett and Jacoby Myers and Josh Gordon and Muhammad Sanu? Evans and Goodwin finished with more receiving yardage, uh, 2,490, than the five players that I just mentioned that were receivers, that were receiving passes from Tom Brady. Those five only combined for 2,367 yards. Plus, you have two pass-catching tight ends, at Tampa Bay in O.J. Howard and Cameron Brake. And they're going to try their best, of course, to emulate Rob Gronkowski and Aaron Hernandez when they played tight end in New England with Brady. Of course, we're hoping that neither O.J. Howard nor Cameron Brake become the 
to become the menace to society and human being that Aaron Hernandez turned into. We sure hope that O.J. Howard and Cameron Raitt are only killing people on the football field literally with their plays scoring touchdowns, the moralizing being a key factor for Tampa Bay winning football games. When we're talking about killing killing it on the field, that's what we mean when we're talking about O.J. Howard and Cameron Brait. While Hernandez took not only killing it on the field, he took that bullshit off the field and started killing people for real. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, yes, O.J. Howard and Cameron Brait are going to try to do what uh, Rod Gronkowski there and Hernandez did with New England with Josh McDaniels as the offensive coordinator, Bill Belichick as the head coach, Tom Brady at the quarterback, the success that New England had employing a two tight end offense. The running back for Tampa Bay, Chris uh, Ronald Jones, all of 22 years, I think that he's a better option at the running back position. A versatile back who ran for 724 yards, four yards per carry, scored six touchdowns. He's only going to improve under Brady under center. And the other thing that also must entice Tom Brady or must have enticed Tom Brady to sign with the Buccaneers, especially if he's going to be playing, hopefully, in his mind for another couple of more years, is the fact that the Buccaneers have the cap space to improve the offensive line. I mean, they have nearly $60 million in cap space, and they're going to try to see what they can do to build an adequate offensive line around Brady because, as you know, and if you don't know, if you're under 43 or 42 or 41 or 40 years old, you hurt a little bit easier easier, and you are less likely to recover quicker than you were in your younger years. So one of the things that Tom Brady is going to have to rely on is an offensive line that can protect him while the Buccaneers offensive line was shaky and inconsistent in 2019 with the cap space that they have, even though a lot of the top tier offensive linemen are no longer available on the free agent market that the Buccaneers can try to do something through a trade through um, the rest of free agency to possibly see what they can do about improving that offensive line that's the only thing when you take a look at the offense for Tampa Bay now with Tom Brady signing they have the quarterback that they need they have the two wide receivers that they need they have the couple of tight ends that they need they have the running back that they need now the only thing they need to shore up is the offensive line having $60 million in cap space does a lot for solving that problem. Defense is good. The defense, I think, if you take into account the offense for Tampa Bay, if they can reach their potential, Tampa Bay, the defense, I think it's adequate enough for them to make a strong run in the playoffs. I mean, we sit there and we talk about, well, you know, last season, throw out all the stats in terms of points given up and average points per game when you're speaking about Tampa Bay, that can't be a barometer if you're trying to decide how good the Tampa Bay defense was because, oh, I don't know, when you have a quarterback who's throwing about, what, 30 interceptions in the season, a lot of times it's going to put them in very bad situations as far as the defense is concerned where after a pick, you're talking about the team having the ball on the other side of the field. You're talking about the team having the ball in the red zone. You're talking about the team who intercepted the pass on Jameis Winston running it back for a touchdown. So you put that seven points, you put that six points in the column for defense. So whether we're speaking about points per game or whether we're speaking about any other type of scoring average to determine how good the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense was, don't really think that you can go that route when you have, again, a quarterback. And that doesn't even take into account the possibility of, say, for instance, a team... Goes on a long scoring drive, 70 yards, 80 yards, takes five, six, seven minutes off the clock. 
runs the ball, whatever, how an offense will score on a Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense, and then three plays later, they can't even catch their breath, they can't even get a drink of water, they can't even sit down and see what they can do to make some adjustments because Jameis Winston just threw an interception, and now after being on the field for seven minutes and being chewed up like they were for that possession, now three plays later they have to go right back on the field because Jameis Winston threw an interception, and they have to see what they can do about holding them to a field goal because the offense is starting the drive inside of Tampa Bay's territory. So all of those things, when you're talking about how you should grade a defense for Tampa Bay, really goes out the window. Especially, again, when you have the replacement at quarterback, an upgrade, even in Tom Brady's advanced years football-wise, the 43-year-old over the 26-year-old Jameis Winston. Uh, I think that's going to, uh, I think that, again, the defense for Tampa Bay is going to be good enough, adequate enough, for them not to be the Achilles heel if the offense uh, reaches the fruition that many people hope and pray in the Tampa Bay area that they do. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us on the podcast. So he has a head coach, speaking of Tom Brady, going to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Again, this was a situation where he looked around at the market. He wasn't going to be going to a team with a young quarterback. He wasn't going to be going to the New York Jets. He wasn't going to be going to the New York uh, Giants. So the fact that in the offseason that the Bradys make residence, I believe, in New York City, as I mentioned before, one of the reasons why he wasn't going out west to join the Los Angeles Chargers was because his wife and children were going to be staying on the East Coast. Again, this was going to be a situation that they discussed where the family, Giselle, and the kids were going to be staying in New York regardless of where Tom was going to play, be playing football. You have Sam Darnold being the quarterback for the Jets. You have, oh shoot darn, the kid from Duke whose name I can't remember, screw me, but he is the quarterback for the New York Giants. They weren't going to be uh, replacing him anytime soon. You take a look at some other places. I mean, Carson Wentz for the Philadelphia Eagles. No, he's not going to be replaced um, Dwayne Haskins for the Washington Professional Football Snyderskins, no, probably wasn't going to go there. And even if he, even if the Snyderskins offered the invitation for Brady to join that squad, why would he join one of the most dysfunctional franchises, not just in the NFL, but all of sports? It almost seemed too good to be true in terms of Brady being a free agent, Brady announcing that he wasn't going to be returning back for the New England Patriots. It almost seemed like Daniel Snyder, that just seems a situation where Daniel Snyder must have been dancing in the streets like he's Martin Vandellas, and then after that, dancing on the ceiling like he was Lionel Richie about the opportunity of trying to get the name Tom Brady to go to that Washington football team. If you know the MO in terms of the free agency, Daniel Snyder, he gets, he says, fuck it, if I ain't going to win the NFL during the regular season, if I'm not going to win the Super Bowl, I got to win something. So I'm going to try my best to see what I can do to win the offseason. So throughout his tenure, speaking of Snyder, of owning the Washington dysfunctional skins, he's always had this offseason where whether it was Bruce Smith or Deion Sanders or Anna Marchaletta or Antoine Randall L or Albert Hainsworth or Jason or excuse me or Mark Brunel or Clinton Portis or you can just keep naming them and naming them and naming them and naming them especially a lot of these old-time guys who are past their prime these all-time greats who are past their prime especially speaking about Bruce Smith and then Deion Sanders 
it almost seemed like Tom Brady's situation in terms of him looking for a place to play. For Daniel Snyder, boy, it must have been hard not to resist the temptation of trying to get into the mix to get Tom Brady to play for their squad. But just speaking about teams that Brady could have gone to, and I guess his main fulfillment, the main requirement that Brady was looking for when he was looking for a new team. And I think that's one of the main reasons. He can sit there and talk about uh, the one of the reasons why, and of course, because of the virus, we're not going to have an opportunity to listen to him talk, to, for him to hold a press conference. Maybe he'll say something on this Instagram page, or maybe he'll do something video-wise for him to explain his decision. Maybe he'll write a blog. Maybe he'll write a cover story for SI. I don't know, but one of the reasons that many people were speaking about in terms of this is the reason why this is one of the main reasons the main requirement that Tom Brady was looking for in a franchise for him to go to and play for the next couple of seasons to end his career to start another chapter in his career after leaving New England was the opportunity to win football games and some of the matches or some of the potential teams if we're looking around and saying, okay, what team has a chance to win the Super Bowl and what team has a chance to win that Super Bowl and is only a quarterback away? If you take a look a few seasons ago, the Minnesota Vikings were in that predicament where we have a great defense, we have a good running game. Mike Zimmer is the coach who I think is a good coach. All we need right now, we can't go back to Case Keenum. Who's going to be that guy that's going to, who's that quarterback that's going to be that guy? who's going to put us over the hump and make us real challenges for the Super Bowl. And they decided to go to Kirk Cousins and pay him a boatload of money. There really wasn't that type of situation out there this offseason for Tom Brady or, or really for any other team. If you take a look, Kansas City doesn't need a quarterback. Baltimore doesn't need a quarterback. Tennessee, that was a situation that seemed plausible. But again, they re-signed Ryan, Ryan Tannehill. $62 million guaranteed. Still a little shaky on that one if we're speaking about Tenny Hill. I mean, to give him that amount of money, four years, $118 million. I know a lot of that is funny money. We basically have to take a look at two things when we speak about the NFL and their contracts to players. We have to speak about the guaranteed money, the signing bonus, and we have to speak about, again, the, excuse me, the signing bonus and the guaranteed money. But, you know, we're speaking about Ryan Tannehill being the guy, being the face of the franchise as far as the quarterback position for the Tennessee Titans. I don't know, man. I mean, I've, the first couple of years, first two or three or four years, he was with the Miami Dolphins, really didn't play out that well. And how much was the success of Ryan Tannehill buoyed by the fact that they have a big, strong, filthy, nasty running back in Derrick Henry? How much was that attributed to Ryan Tannehill's ascent to the fact that Tennessee was going to look the other way and sign him and not Tom Brady moving forward with their goals and aspirations being realistic about winning a Super Bowl, not in 10 years or 15 years, but we're speaking about in the next one, two or three years. They made the decision to go with Ryan Tannehill, a guy who basically turned his whole career around from being a backup quarterback and maybe being out of the league in two or three or four years to a guy who's going to be making a, getting a fat contract he did that in only a half a season after replacing Marcus Mariota because of inadequacy in the job of being a quarterback. Brian Tannehill came in, got the job done. How much of this is sustainable? That's the one thing I want to ask. But Mike Vrabel and those guys, they know more about this than I do. So they're going to go ahead and go with um, Tannehill for being their quarterback. All right, but 
that was one of the situations where, again, Tom Brady, the fit could have been there, but no, Tennessee decided to go in the other direction. Baltimore, again, doesn't need themselves a quarterback. Minnesota doesn't need themselves a quarterback. Philadelphia doesn't need themselves a quarterback. St. Louis, excuse me, New Orleans doesn't need themselves a quarterback. The Rams, possibly, but after signing Jared Goff to that contract, you knew that they weren't going to be in the running for Tom Brady. And Tom Brady's decision not to play on the West Coast also made that situation untenable or not uh, doable. So Kyler Murray is the starting quarterback, a young starting quarterback in a Cliff Kingsbury system. I don't think Tom Brady at this stage of his career will want to go and try and pick up and learn. Uh, The Cleveland Browns have Baker Mayfield. There's a lot of young quarterbacks right now where I don't see them pushing them to the side just yet, calling them busts or projects or anything else for a team to bring in Tom Brady with a young quarterback in his second or third year. The Chicago Bears look like they're moving on from Mitchell Trubisky, got themselves got themselves Nick Foles, but that's a situation again. Maybe Brady could have gone to that team, but you take a look at the weapons that they have. Would this be something where Brady could thrive, especially the fact that, again, he's not that guy who can take chicken shit and turn it into chicken salad. He's going to need some real weapons around him to make him better for the first time in Tom Brady's career. He's going to be looking at his supporting cast to help elevate him, not the other way around. So I guess, again, when everything was all said and done, he took a look at Tampa Bay, he took a look at Bruce Arians, and he said, why not? Fuck it, might as well go ahead and get the job done. So go ahead and sign there and see what we can do. When Arians, and I, I think when you're speaking about the head coach for Tampa Bay, and you're speaking about Bruce Arians, I mean, this was a guy, and this is a guy who is considered to be, I don't know if quarterback guru is the right word. I'm not going to use that word, but this guy has worked very well with quarterbacks, especially quarterbacks in their advanced age in terms of being NFL football players. If you remember when he was the coach in Arizona, he traded for Carson Palmer, and a move that ended with the Cardinals making it all the way to the title game in 2015, the NFC title game, and Palmer that year, I mean, he made the Pro Bowl. He completed 64% of his passes and 537 pass attempts. He threw for over 4,600 yards, which was a career high. So Brady took a look at that, took a look at everything around him and said, yeah, let's go ahead. Let's do this. Let's get this done. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, the podcast, Wendell's World in Sports. So glad that you could be with listening. So we take a look at the NFC South. And man, it's, it's gotten interesting. God forbid, God hopefully, God willing that they can start the NFL season on time. The NFC South is going to be really interesting. You've got New Orleans, Atlanta, Carolina. So really, if I take a look at those teams, if I take a look at Tampa Bay and the Saints and the Falcons and Carolina, going to Carolina in my mind, the division that has the best quarterbacks when you compare it to the other divisions. If you're speaking about Tom Brady playing in Tampa Bay, if you're speaking about Drew Brees playing in New Orleans, Matt Ryan playing football for the Atlanta Falcons, and then Teddy Bridgewater, the newest acquisition at the quarterback position for the Carolina Panthers playing in that division, I mean, I think it's a situation where, yeah, I mean, you can maybe argue that the NFC West with Russell Wilson in Seattle and Jimmy G and, San Francisco and Jared Goff in Los Angeles and Kyler Murray in Arizona might be able to compete 
for the title who has the best starting quarterbacks in the division. But if you take a look at the championships, if you take a look at the yardage, if you take a look at the knowledge, if you take a look at the pedigree, if you take a look at the accolades that the quarterbacks in the NFC South have, then you would have to say without question, even though Brady's going to be 43, Drew Brees is going to be 41. Matt Ryan, I believe, is pushing either 33 or 34. And Teddy Bridgewater was a backup for the Saints last season. You still have to say that the best starting quarterbacks in a division has to be the NFC South. So I'm just thinking about, man, you take a look at when Tampa Bay plays the Saints. You're speaking about history being made, man. Two of the best 40-plus-year-old quarterbacks ever to play are going to be getting together. Not once, but twice. Again, Drew Brees is 41 years. He signed a two-year, $50 million contract. And Tom Brady being 43 years of age. And again, Teddy Bridgewater, as I mentioned before, signing with the Carolina Panthers on Tuesday. That deal was three years, $63 million. Carolina now is moving on from Cam Newton. I don't have a lot of time as I'm recording this today, and I do need some material in terms of because, again, games aren't being played. So I'm going to say some of my free agent material for my next podcast. It's not going to be, my next podcast is not going to be as long in terms of the length of time in between podcasts. It's just, you know, when you have this coronavirus deal, I mean, you're sitting there and you're thinking to yourself, okay, what am I going to do? How am I going to get this done? Where am I going to go? You know, you have to go ahead and you have to, in your own life, because this is just affecting all of us, you have to go ahead and you have to decide exactly what you're going to do. And that's what I was doing this week, exactly trying to decide how I was going to make it during this time. But I'll give my thoughts and opinions about that at the end, at the end of the podcast. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to talk about today, mainly in the NFL free agency going on, commencing, shall we say, with Tom Brady moving, taking his talent from Boston down to the Tampa area, Clearwater, Florida area, all of them places in Florida. Tampa Bay is now the destination for the greatest quarterback who's ever played, one of the greatest quarterbacks, and one of the greatest football players who've ever played in the NFL, Tom Brady. I mentioned before also, when speaking about the NFC South, I mentioned that it was home of what I think is the best starting quarterbacks in the division. When you speak about the Buccaneers, the acquisition of Tom Brady, 
Drew Brees being with the New Orleans Saints. He signed a two-year contract to remain with the Saints and play quarterback when you're speaking about the acquisition of Teddy Bridgewater of the Carolina Panthers. And still, if you not forget, Matt Ryan is still with the Atlanta Falcons. When you take a look at that starting four in terms of the quarterback position, and I mentioned the only rival that they have in terms of capturing that moniker of the best starting quarterbacks in the division, I would say was... The only competition that the NFC South had was the NFC West when you're speaking about Russell Wilson with the Seattle Seahawks and Jared Goff with the LA Rams. And of course, you have Kyler Murray with the Arizona Cardinals and so forth and so on. But really, if you speak about it, and we know that the key to winning a championship, we know a key for being an elite football team, the key for winning Super Bowls is having yourself a quarterback, an elite franchise quarterback. So when I take a look at the pedigree, when I took a look at the resume, when I take a look at the accomplishments of the starting quarterbacks in the NFC South, when I see that Tom Brady has won six Super Bowls, he's been to nine, when I see that Drew Brees has won a Super Bowl, when I've seen that Matt Ryan has been the league MVP and taken his team to a Super Bowl, when I've seen that Teddy Bridgewater is a is a guy who can be a stabling influence on the team that's rebuilding in the Carolina Panthers as they say goodbye to Cam Newton in the retirement of others, I take a look at that division and I say that is the best division in football for my money. It's definitely not the NFC least. It's not the NFC South. It's not the AFC South. It's not the AFC West. It's not the AFC or NFC North. I think it is in terms of the best division in football remaining in the NFC South. The main reason is the starting quarterback or the starting quarterbacks for the contenders in that division. And that being said, if you take a look at it, despite the fact that Tom Brady is going to be moving over to Tampa Bay and you take a look at some of the weapons that he has and we talked about in the first couple of segments how prolific possibly that the combination of a Tom Brady to Mike Evans might be or the maturations or the improvement that OJ Howard could have with the uh, acquisition of Tom Brady. We take a look at that and I still say that the New Orleans Saints are the best team in the division going into the 2020 season whenever the season starts for the NFL. They still have the best quarterback in the in, uh, quarterback coach in the conference. When you're speaking about that tandem of Sean Payton and sure hope that he's going to get better as he tested positive for the virus. But if he's able to make a comeback, which he says that he's feeling fine and he's atypical of the symptoms, whenever the season starts, let's just say, for instance, that they start on time, they start in September, that – New Orleans is still going to have the best coach-quarterback combination in the conference. Michael Thomas is still the best receiver in football. Jared Kirk Cook is more productive than both Buccaneers tight ends. The offensive line remains intact, and the defense is still Super Bowl quality when compared with their offense, and they also added safety Malcolm Jenkins in free agency. So you take a look at a team in New Orleans that has been so close in terms of just reaching the Super Bowl and trying to compete for the Super Bowl championship. If you take a look at the last couple of years, a team that's won 13 games during the regular season, a team that should have been, could have been, arguably could have been in the Super Bowl if it wasn't for a bad call by the referees uh, in the NFC Championship game a few years ago against the LA Rams, a team that has lost on a miracle play against the Minnesota Vikings a few years ago and then losing in overtime at home. And this past playoff season against the Minnesota Vikings, they're just right there. I'm not trying to say, I'm not going to say that the opportunities for the Saints to win a Super Bowl has closed. And I think with the leadership 
of a guy like Drew Brees who's won a Super Bowl and leadership of a coach like Sean Payton who's not only won a Super Bowl as a head coach but also comes from that Bill Parcells type of philosophy in terms of getting back up and keep moving and keep grooving and keep moving toward. I think that the New Orleans Saints have the mental capacity to not have the losses kind of deflate their their, 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 their vigor and their passion to get back and try for a championship. Because if they were going to be broken, if this was going to be a situation where the New Orleans Saints and the key players that they have on their team currently, if they were going to you know, go apart, if they were going to go in different directions, if they were going to have different agendas, if the window of opportunity would have closed for them to compete for a championship and be one of the elite teams in the in the NFL, that situation would have happened years ago. And it definitely would have happened after that loss in the NFC Championship game against the LA Rams where it was an obvious pass interference, which wasn't called in blah, 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 blue, 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 blee, blee, blee. But moving on, I think despite the fact that <clears throat> Tampa Bay has acquired the greatest quarterback, one of the greatest quarterbacks who's ever played, I still say as far as the NFC South is concerned, winning the division, it still goes through Bourbon Street. It still goes through New Orleans, Louisiana. Wendell's World in Sports, the podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us again. Sean Payton, the coach of the New Orleans Saints, tested positive for the coronavirus. He's the first person in the NFL world known to have tested positive for the virus. Now, Payton said that he didn't feel well this past Sunday took the test on Monday and received the results Thursday afternoon. And he's resting at home right now. He's fatigued, but he said he is part of the 20% of the cases that have no fewer and no cough, no fever, excuse me, and no cough. And he said that he remains upbeat and optimistic about making a full recovery. And once he does make a full recovery, recovery, what he wants to do is to come forward with the diagnosis in full because he wants to heed the warnings of government, government officials stay inside and behave responsibly. I'll be talking about that in terms of people behaving responsibly. I'll be talking about that, some of the things about social gathering and some of the things about people not taking this virus as seriously as they should. I'll be talking about that at the end of the podcast. But as of right now, I want to concentrate on sports and save the social commentary for after the sports is over. It's talking on my podcast, Wendell's World in Sports, the podcast with me. Wendell Wallace, great opportunity though. If you're the offensive coordinator for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who is the offensive coordinator for the Buccaneers? Do you know? Do you? How about you? Do you know? All right, I'll tell you. The offensive coordinator is Byron Leftwich, native of Washington, D.C., played a Marshall, first round draft pick by the Jacksonville Jaguars, played a few seasons there, played over there in Pittsburgh and now is a guy who's in his, I believe, early 40s, late 30s, somewhere around there, and is now getting the opportunity to learn the craft of being an offensive coordinator, of course, of course working with Bruce Arians, the coach, and Tom Moore, who used to be Peyton Manning's offensive coordinator and guru, go-to guy when Manning and Moore were quarterback offensive coordinator in Indianapolis. So it's a great opportunity for Byron Leftwich because – he gets to work with Arians. He gets to work with Moore. He gets to work with Brady. We're just speaking about the three offensive coordinators that have been in the life of Tom Brady. If you're speaking about Charlie Weiss, Bill O'Brien, Josh McDaniels, these guys have all transitioned 
while working with Tom Brady, and you could maybe say working more with Bill Belichick, whatever the cart or the the, the what the, the horse or the cart comes first. But Charlie Weiss has moved on to coach at Notre Dame, coached at Kansas. Bill O'Brien coached at Penn State, and now he's the coach of the Houston Texans. I'll get back to what he's doing a little bit later on in this podcast, some of the moves that he's making as a general manager. And Josh McDaniels, the offensive coordinator currently for the New England Patriots, he was a guy that had his opportunity first with after being the OC at in uh, New England, then moving on to be the head coach at Denver. And as since coming back and working with Brady, he's had numerous opportunities to be a head coach anywhere else. I remember what was it, last year, a couple of years ago, that he was rumored, reported to have taken the Indianapolis Colts job. And then stories have it that Bill Belichick and Robert Kraft and maybe Tom Brady, I don't know, came in and talked him out of it. So, But uh, basically what I'm trying to say is offensive coordinators who have been successful in working with Tom Brady has had positive success as far as wins and losses, passes, yardage, interceptions, working with Tom Brady has, have all gotten chances to become head coaches either in college or in the NFL. I think in a situation like this, I don't want to see Byron Leftwich going back to college to be a NFL head coach, but one of the arguments or one of the reasons that are given to why there's no more or there's not a plethora of black head coaches in the NFL and really not a a lot of black head coaching candidates for NFL head coaching jobs is because the league is trending more in an offensive way. And because of that, these teams and these general managers and these presidents of football operations and these owners are looking for coaches who are innovative from the offensive side of the football, no longer from the defensive side of the football. So because of that, when you're taking a look at the dirt and the lack of offensive coordinators who are black in the NFL, that's one of the bullshit, nonsensical reasons why the league puts up or why there's the argument on to as to why black head coaches or black coordinators or whatever blacks are not getting their rightful due to become head coaches in the NFL. Once again, I call that bullshit, but it's an excuse. Once again, this is an opportunity for Byron Leftwich to improve his resume, to improve his standing, to improve his opportunities to eventually get a head coaching job somewhere down the line, hopefully somewhere if he proves that he's worthy enough to get an opportunity to become a head coach in the NFL. Hopefully he will get that chance and working with Tom Brady and having success with Tom Brady will elevate his opportunities for getting a head coaching job sooner, not later. So that's one of the reasons why I'm kind of rooting a little bit more for Tom Brady to have a resurgence and do some work for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and get them to be one of the elite teams in the NFL. Now, we're, we're, we know what's going to happen in that case. Let's just say, for instance, that under the tutelage of offensive coordinator Byron Leftwich, while working with Bruce Arians, that Tom Brady had the type of season that Brett Favre had in his first season with the Minnesota Vikings, or maybe that Peyton Manning had in his first couple of years with the Denver Broncos. Let's just say that Peyton Manning, excuse me, that Tom Brady goes ahead and puts up numbers that are fantastic that he does that he lives up to the expectations even the most optimistic expectations of what Tom Brady can be as a quarterback at the age of 43 and 44 you know what's going to happen instead of giving the full praise to Byron Leftwich as the offensive coordinator you know where the majority of the of the you know where the majority of the praise and glorification is going to go to you guys are just going to go to 
Bruce Arians. It's going to have to be up to Bruce Arians to say, no, yeah, I had a little bit of a hand in helping Tom Brady resurgence, but you cannot discount the uh, work that Byron Leftwich put in with Tom Brady to make him the quarterback that he is as of right now. So because of that, he should be able to give himself a strong opportunity, a real opportunity, a genuine opportunity for him to become a head coach of the football team. It hasn't happened to Eric Bieniemy yet because we know that if you ask anybody in the organization of the Kansas City Chiefs, if you ask Patrick Mahotel, if you ask Andy Reid, they will tell you that in terms of the maturation and the accomplishments and the growth that Patrick Mahomes has had since he become since he's been in the uh, NFL, a lot of that has to go to the work that Eric Bieniemy had when he was working with Patrick Mahomes. But of course, as we know, with the Kansas City offense and the revelation, which is Patrick Mahomes, and the revelation that he is right now at the best quarterback in football, the new sheriff in town in terms of who's the best quarterback in the league, you know that the most of the praise and the glory is going to go to Andy Reid. So, you know, we just hope that moving on that Byron Leftwich can um, eventually, if he does well, if he shows that he can work well, he shows the pedigree, if he shows that he has the tools and the talents to get himself an opportunity to become a head coach in the NFL, the stigma of, well, you know, we're looking for an offensive coordinator and this is the reason why and this, that, and the other, that hopefully Byron Leftwich can ignore, that hopefully Byron Leftwich, by showing what he can do working with Tom Brady, that he can get himself a true, sincere look at becoming a head coach down the road, two, three, four, five years down the road, Byron Leftwich becoming a head coach in the National Football League. Windows World is Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Don't be pouring no water on the drowning man. Come on now. Don't be pouring water on this drowning man. You push me when I'm falling. You kick me when I'm down. I guess I missed my calling because I should have been your clown. How much more? Seriously, how much more can I stand when you're pouring water on a drowning man? I like that. You put me on the right track and then you run me down. You stab me in the back, bitch. Every time I turn around, you criticize my loving. But damn, I'm doing the very best I can. You're pouring water on a drowning man. Yeah, you're pouring water on a drowning man. You treat me like the fool that I am. You brag that I like everything you do. You put salt on my wounds. It's sad, but it's true. You warm me with your kisses, and then you leave me in the cold. How do? How can I know your wishes when I've never been told? How much more? How much more can I stand when you're pouring water on a drowning man? Thank you very much, James Carr. Ah, oh, Wendell's World of Sports. <clears throat> I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so doggone glad that he could be with us. Hold on for a second. <clears throat> oh my goodness, do I have, do I have corona? 
<clears throat> okay, I'm not gonna. I'm not going to um, panic. <clears throat> I have a little phlegm in the in the throat, but I'm cool. Speaking about what's going down in the world of sports, speaking about Tom Brady and everything, all everything is Tom Brady. Of course, this has to be one of the biggest free agent signings acquisitions in a long time. If you're speaking about uh, Tom Brady moving from the New England Patriots to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Again, the only thing I think really comes close is when Peyton Manning, after a year being off because of a neck injury in Indianapolis, the Colts drafted Andrew Luck, and they said, well, you know, it's been real, Peyton, take it easy. And um, he decided that he was going to go to the Denver Broncos. And, you know, when Manning made that decision to take his talents to the the, uh, Colorado Rockies in the Denver area, that was also sort of, sort of kind of like, a, hmm, that's interesting. It wasn't anything out of the blue. But as I remember, that wasn't his number one spot. That wasn't that we were doing the prognostications back there. That wasn't the number one spot for Peyton Manning to go. Yes, there was the John Elway connection, and they had some good players around them. And But at the time, I don't think that Denver was a Peyton Manning away that many people thought to winning the Super Bowl. Now, when I say a Peyton Manning away, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, all of these guys, Brett Favre, all of these guys can always take a, you know, go out and find themselves a job and whatever team that they're on, the team at the quarterback position, for the most part, is going to improve. But many people at the time that Manning went to Denver, I don't think it was a situation where it was like, yeah, you know what, man? If Denver could go ahead and get Peyton Manning, I think that they have a real shot of winning the Super Bowl. I think that's just the one last missing piece. It wasn't like a Minnesota Viking situation, as I mentioned before, where they had a great defense, offense, and all they needed was a quarterback to put them over the top, and that's the reason why they gave all that guaranteed money to Kirk Cousins. I think when Manning went to the Denver Broncos, I don't think it was that situation. And, and now fast-forwarding over to the year 2020, I don't think, Tom Brady going to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I don't think it was a situation with Tampa Bay because because of their record. It was, man, you know, we're so close or we just made it in the playoffs here or we could have ran to the Super Bowl. We could have made a strong Super Bowl run. And we just would have had ourselves a quarterback. So we need to go out and we need to see what we can do to throw all the money in the world at Tom Brady because he is the missing piece. Not Link, but Peace to get us to the Super Bowl championship. I don't think that was the scuttlebutt. I don't think people were talking about that when Tom Brady hit free agency. I think you could apply that you could apply that knowledge and that talking point more toward the Los Angeles Chargers than you could the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And that was one of the reasons why Tom Brady and the Los Angeles Chargers made so much sense along with say the Tennessee Titans and Tom Brady. And that's one of the reasons why when the talk was centered around if Tom Brady is not going to be going back to the New England Patriots, exactly what team is he going to be going to? That's the reason why the Tennessee Titans and the Los Angeles Chargers came up because those were the two teams that were quote unquote seemed to be closest to the notion of one solid quarterback away from winning themselves or getting themselves into the aura of winning themselves a championship. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers were not on that level. And I still don't think, and I mentioned before, man, I understand I understand that Tom Brady's great. 
I understand that Tom Brady didn't fall off a cliff in terms of his statistics, in terms of, in fact, I think the season that Tom Brady had, if you're taking a look strictly on wins and losses, I think that he had a, a, a underrated season. If you're speaking about, this was a team in New England who, through a lot of the season, was going through it undefeated. This was a team in, in, excuse me, in New England that really didn't have any bad losses. This was a team that finished 11-5. This was a team that won an improved AFC East, if you're speaking about what happened with the Buffalo Bills this season. This is a team in New England led by Tom Brady, who played all 16 games that did have some impressive wins, even though, again, they lost to Houston, and they lost to Kansas City, and they lost to Tennessee in the playoffs. I still think that they showed enough to where if Tom Brady was going to come back, I don't think that they were going to be Super Bowl contenders. But I don't think the Patriots with Tom Brady as their quarterback for 2020, and especially with Bill Belichick as their head coach, I don't think that the New England Patriots would have fallen off a cliff. I think they would have uh, regressed just a little bit, and they would have had some true competition for the first time in maybe 12, 13 years of them winning the AFC East because, again, of what Buffalo has done. But I think Tom Brady is still a guy who's top eight, top nine, top ten quarterback, and on some days... Even at 43 years old, if we're projecting what's going to be happening this upcoming season, I think that for a game, for a quarter, for a half, he can still be a guy that's going to be top four, top five because of his skills and because of his experience. Now, are we expecting, should we be expecting Tom Brady to be that guy as he was when he threw 50 touchdowns and eight interceptions with a passer rating of 117.2, completing 69% of his 500 and 78 passing attempts and finishing the regular season 16-0? and 0. Do you want to, that Tom Brady to come walking through the door? Keep dreaming. Are you looking for the Tom Brady that threw 36 touchdowns and four interceptions, completing 66% of his 493 pass attempts and leading his team to a Super Bowl championship? No. Are you even expecting Tom Brady of 2017 at the tender age of 38, 39 years old where he threw 32 touchdown passes, only eight interceptions, completed 66% of his 581 pass attempts. Are you expecting that Tom Brady to come through the door? If that Tom Brady came through the door, if the 50 touchdown, eight interception Tom Brady came through the door, if the 36 touchdown, four interceptions, 66% completion percentage of 493 passing Tom Brady walked through that door, put on TV 12 and put on that, ugly-looking uniform for Tampa Bay and walked out with the players that he has on his team right now from an offensive standpoint, from an offensive skill standpoint. If that Tom Brady walked out the door, walked into the field, now we're talking. Now I don't care about the New Orleans Saints and their coaching quarterback combination. I don't care about Michael Thomas. I don't care about Alvin Kamara. I don't care about any of those guys. I don't care about the defense of Minnesota. I don't care about the... Uh, improvement of Carson Wentz. I don't care about what's going to be happening with the Dallas Cowboys. I don't care about any of those things. I don't care about what Russell Wilson is going to be doing. I don't care about the front four defense of the San Francisco 49ers. I don't care about those things. If you were going to promise me that we could get the Tom Brady of the level of play that I just mentioned in terms of 2009 and 2017 and the year that he threw 36 touchdown passes. If that Tom Brady walked through the door again, now we're talking, now we're dancing, now we're moving, now we're grooving. But this is 2020. This is going to be the 2020 season, and Tom Brady is going to be 43 years old. Again, 
Tom Brady can be that guy who can fall in between if we take a look at a 16-game schedule. If Tom Brady plays 16 games, I can see, I can project him being somewhere, anywhere between a top 6, top 11, top 12 quarterback, falling in a range somewhere between 6 and 12. I don't think he's going to be better than Patrick Mahomes. I don't think he's going to be better than Lamar Jackson. I don't think that he's going to be better than Drew Brees. I think that you have guys such as Josh Allen of Buffalo. I think you have guys such as Jimmy Garoppolo of San Francisco who are going to continue to get better. And again, if we're speaking about going through the 16-game schedule, I don't think that Tom Brady is going to be a better quarterback or be more valuable or productive or impactful of a quarterback on his team than, say, someone like a, a Russell Wilson is for Seattle. So overall, overall, if this season begins, commences in September, and Tom Brady plays 16 games, I think that you're going to be looking at him at the very, very, very best. If everything goes great in terms of what Tom Brady, the individual, can bring individually from the quarterback position and the impact that he has on helping this team win. And if you're starting to talk about, well, who's the best quarterback? Who's the worst quarterback? Who's an average quarterback? I think the best case scenario for Tom Brady is going to be somewhere between six and seven. And even with the worst case scenario, and I guess the worst case scenario would be at 43 years old, Tom Brady gets injured and he's out for an extended period of time or something that's lingering that affects his overall ability to play football or the quarterback position for Tampa Bay at a high level. So that could be the worst case scenario. But if he plays 16 games and he's relatively healthy on the definition of what is healthy, say in November and December for NFL football players, I think that Tom Brady worst case scenario could be somewhere between a somewhere as far as a number 13, number 12, middling of the pack type of quarterback in terms of his importance and impact on his team. So that's the worst case scenario. But either way, I'm leaning more toward the latter in terms of what type of player Tom Brady is going to be. Number one, you have to remember that with this lockout now, with this lockout, I shouldn't say lockout, with the players and the NFL being shut down because of this coronavirus and the uncertainty of what's going to be happening moving forward, I don't know. We don't know. You don't know. Nobody knows. Nobody knows the trouble we've seen. Nobody knows our sorrow, including the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in terms of when this will all alleviate and we can get to a somewhat semi-normal existence to where the possibility where Tom Brady can go ahead. And it doesn't have to be even OTAs. It doesn't have to be a organizational function in terms of working with these guys. I mean, Tom Brady has the juice. Tom Brady has the rep. Tom Brady can be that guy to say, hey, you know what, guys? You know, social distancing now is over for the most part. He can invite Mike Howard. He can invite Godwin. He can invite O.J. Howard. He can invite those guys to his place. He can invite them somewhere at some remote locale. He can invite them somewhere where let's just get to know each other, man. Let's spend a week, two weeks or whatever. It's on my dime. It's on Giselle, Giselle's dime. Let's see what we can do to get together and just have our own little thing. Sit down, get to know each other. What type of pass routes do you like? What do you like the ball? This, that, and the other. Let's start working on some chemistry. Let's start working on some continuity because we don't know exactly when we're going to be able to gather in large gatherings 
So as long as, say, for instance, we can go somewhere where it's okay, where, I don't know. I mean, you know, we were talking about, you know, plane restrictions. How safe is, is it going to be to get on a plane, say, in three weeks, three months, eight weeks, who knows? But if there was somehow some way, the possibility that Tom Brady could get his wide receiver, could get his skill players, and just start just throwing the football, man, just even more importantly, just getting to know them as people, getting to know their quirks, getting to know their personalities, put them like in a real-world situation, you know, in terms of a reality show, just getting to know who they are as people. I mean, that could be definitely advantageous when the season starts, but we don't even know when that's going to happen, which is going to hamper how good can Tom Brady be with the teammates that he's going to be having, his new teammates, how impactful, how important he's going to be from the quarterback position with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We don't know. But I do know last season, Tampa Bay, I mean, excuse me, the last season, Tom Brady, I mean, this was a guy who averaged 6.6 yards per attempt, ranking him 27th in the league. This was a guy, Tom Brady, who had his second lowest passer rating in 11 years of 88. This is a guy, Tom Brady, who we know in the year 2019 in the NFL football season, posted his highest interception total and the lowest touchdown rate since 2013. This is a guy in Tom Brady who we know for the 2019 season had the fewest yards per attempt and yards per game and the lowest passer rating since 2014. The Tom Brady of 2009 is not walking through that door, Buck fans. The Tom Brady of 2011 is not walking through that door, uh, Buccaneers fans. The Tampa Bay community football fandom, the season ticket holders, the Tom Brady that won that Super Bowl against the Atlanta Falcons, he's not walking through that door, folks. What you're going to be seeing once the season starts is a Tom Brady whose numbers I just read in terms of the lowest total since 2013, the lowest total since 2014, lowest passer rating in 11 years. That Tom Brady is going to be walking through the door. Not the Tom Brady that threw 50 touchdown passes, about 25 of them to Randy Moss. That Tom Brady is long gone. I don't care how much TB12, I don't care how much Alec Guerrero works out with the guy, I don't care how much how many kale smoothies that he drinks, that Tom Brady is not walking through that door. What door, what impact is Tom Brady going to have? And with a 43-year-old Tom Brady, how much are you expecting to put on his plate? How much are you asking him to do in terms of having you be a successful offense. He can't do anything about the defense. I mean, he can't tackle anybody. He can't call out a scheme. He can't do any of those things. But in terms from the offensive standpoint, he's going to be asked to put numbers on the board. He's going to be asked to have a prolific offense. That's going to be, he's in charge. He's got the keys to the offense when he steps on that field for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in terms of that offense is concerned. How much of a 43-year-old Tom Brady can we expect this guy to drive this vehicle, which I wouldn't say is a Lamborghini. It's definitely not a Porsche. If you're taking a look at the Tampa Bay offense, if you're taking a look at the weapons, I would say that he's a, you know, a very, 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 I could say that that vehicle is a very well-conditioned, let's say 2020 Toyota Camry. It ain't a Lexus. It ain't a Jaguar. It ain't a Mercedes Benz, but it's still a really damn good car that, Tom Brady is going to have the keys to is his age is his decline going to continue to the point where despite all of the weapons that he has that a 43 year old Tom Brady is not going to be enough to get past the New Orleans Saints like I predict 
That is not going to be enough to say overtake the San Francisco 49ers. It's going to be that situation. Maybe a team like the Minnesota Vikings improve and maybe some other teams that we're not thinking about this year. Maybe the Dallas Cowboys get it together. Maybe the Philadelphia Eagles with Carson Wentz finishes what they started. Who knows? Who knows? Does Nick Foles have a turnaround with the Chicago Bears? No, I'm just, but there's always a team out there who we don't expect to have a good season that's going to surprise, whether it be from the AFC, whether it be from the NFC. I mean, did you really think going into the 2019 season that in the NFC, in the Super Bowl, it would be represented by the San Francisco 49ers, a team that only a season ago was in the position to draft in the second spot in the NFL draft because that's how poor they were as far as their win-loss record is concerned. And then and then fast forward another year, they're playing in the Super Bowl. There's always a team in the NFL like that. Is Tampa Bay ready for that team also? Who knows? It could be Carolina. It could be Green Bay. Who knows? Who knows? And is Tom Brady equipped at 43 years old? to be able from the quarterback position to have that impact to have Tampa Bay be one of the elite teams in the NFL. Who knows? Tom Brady last year wasn't even the best 40-year-old plus quarterback in the league. That moniker went to Drew Brees. So we don't know. And look, we can sit here and you can sit there and talk about, well, he didn't have the weapons. He didn't have this and he didn't have that. Yeah, that's true. That's true. He wasn't blessed with a murderer's role of talent at the wide receiver, tight end, and running back position. But you can't put all of that on the skill players and just say, oh, poor Tom Brady, if he would have had the same weapons, say, as a Patrick Mahomes would have had, that he would have led New England to the Super Bowl. Some of the responsibility, the majority, not even, well, I guess you could say the majority, because if the majority of the praise and glory goes to the quarterback, then he also has to shoulder a good amount of the blame when that happens, fair or unfair. And I just thought that sometimes last season that, you know what? Yeah, the weapons for New England weren't there. But this is simply not a situation where, hey, you know, if you put Tom Brady with some really good wide receivers, he's going to be revolting or he's going to be going back to 2016, 2017, 2015. That taint going to happen. Wendell's World and Sports, the podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So as we're moving on about Tom Brady, spending a lot of time speaking about Tom Brady because, hey, you know what, man? If you take a look down the pike, who is going to be that next guy? Because I mentioned before, this was the biggest free agent signing or the most, I shouldn't say important, but the most talked about free agent signing in terms of a legendary all-time great quarterback changing teams. Who would have thought? I mean, for... Most of his career, we always thought that Tom Brady was going to be synonymous with a Kobe Bryant, rest in peace, with a Cal Ripken, with a Reggie Miller, or what I'm trying to say is these guys, a Tim Duncan, who played his entire year, plays his entire career with just one team. We thought that the Bill Belichick-Tom Brady relationship will last until either one of them retires. Now we have a situation just like in 2012 or 2013. Who would have thought? at that time that Peyton Manning would be leaving the Indianapolis Colts. Just like way back when in the early 1990s, who would have thought that Joe Montana 
after 14, 15 years playing football for the San Francisco 49ers, would go ahead and play football somewhere else for the Kansas City Chiefs. Who would have thought that Brett Favre would have left the Green Bay Packers to go to the New York Flippin' Jets? So every, I guess, seven, eight, nine years, something like this happens. And I'm trying to take a look down the road because I'm trying to explain why I'm spending so much time speaking about this move and speaking about the ramifications and speaking about Tom Brady moving his football career from Boston, Massachusetts to Tampa Bay, Florida. I'm just trying to think, who's that next guy? Drew Brees is going to stay with New Orleans Saints. And now it's the fact that since New Orleans is his second team, if you remember, he was first drafted and played for the San Diego, then San Diego Chargers. So if Drew Brees moves again, I know that he meant a lot to the New Orleans Saints. And I know he's going to be going into the Hall of Fame with the New Orleans Saints or being associated or recognized as an employee at quarterback for the New Orleans Saints. But if he changes teams in a couple of years or whatever, it's not going to have the same impact as Tom Brady. This is the first time the unthinkable, the fact that he could have uh, <clears throat> changed teams and left such a successful relationship with Bill Belichick. So I'm thinking there's really nobody else. If Aaron Rodgers moves from Green Bay to somewhere else, yeah, that's true. That might be something that's interesting. But you know what? I think the relationship between him and his coaches up at Green Bay, I mean, this is what he's what, uh, now, his third or fourth coach or something like that. So he kind of loses a little bit of the luster in that sense, even though he's been tied again with the Green Bay Packers for so long. Maybe someone like a Russell Wilson another seven or eight years. Maybe someone like a Ben Roethlisberger. I don't know. But for the most part, we're, we're uh, this is something that really doesn't happen. The impact or something as surprising in the sports world as what Tom Brady is doing right now. So this is one of the reasons why I'm spending so much time speaking about the ramifications and just speaking and giving you, giving you my thoughts and opinions about Tom Brady taking his talents to... Tampa Bay in the uh, Tampa community. Wendell's World and Sports Podcast. I am your host, Wendell Wallace. So, how is Brady going to do in his second chapter in his advanced football career? How is he going to do? We all talk about, you know, Joe Montana and Peyton Manning and Brett Favre. If you want to talk about the NFL or maybe you can sit there and talk about Michael Jordan or maybe someone like a Patrick Ewing, damn right. You can maybe speak about someone like a Hakeem Olajuwon. You can maybe talk about someone like a, a Charles Barkley who was synonymous with one team for so long, then they went ahead and went somewhere else. You can talk about a Carl Malone who went to the Los Angeles Lakers after playing for the Utah Jazz for so long. You can speak about other sports where players have played their careers, the majority of their careers, and now they're going to spend the last couple of the year, of their years trying to... Uh, Apply their talents somewhere else. Jerry Rice, uh, speaking of San Francisco 49ers, he went from playing with those guys to going with the Raiders where he had productive seasons before finally finishing with the Broncos and Seattle Seahawks. But uh, what does that mean? What is this going what's going on? What is it going to look like when we speak about Tom Brady? I mean, is he going to do what Joe Montana did? Joe Montana who I believe at the time he was in his late 30s when he went from San Francisco to Kansas City. He played two seasons with them, 1993-1994. He made the Pro Bowl in 1993 after only playing 11 games. He had a combined 19-13 record in his two seasons. Joe Cool lost the AFC Championship game in his first season, and then in a 
And then in the last game that he played, lost in the wild card game and completed, what, about 54? He completed around 60% of his passes for about 5,400 yards, 29 touchdowns, 16 interceptions. Not bad. Not bad. I think if you could get two seasons from Tom Brady matching those type of numbers, even in the elevated passing statistics that we now apply when we're speaking about someone's passing proficiency as far as yards and touchdowns and such, I think if you could get that type of if you could get that type of run from Tom Brady with Tampa Bay, I don't think that you could be too disappointed. Peyton Manning, on the other hand, I mean, this was a guy who won the Super Bowl in 2015 when basically he was done that year. He threw nine, what, nine touchdowns and like 17 interceptions. I remember a couple of games he was playing. It was just sad to watch him out there playing, man. It was absolutely sad. And you knew that, yeah, this has got to be the last time that he's going to be playing with the, the last season that he's going to be playing with the Denver Broncos. But in the four seasons that he had with Denver from 2012 to 2015, I mean, he had a 50 and 14. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> <clears throat> Excuse me. He had a 50-14 record, two 13-3 seasons, two 12-4 seasons. He played in two Super Bowls. He threw 131 touchdowns and 36 interceptions. First three seasons with the team, he completed about 68% of his 1,839 pass attempts, and he passed for over 14,000 yards, 14,863 to be exact. My goodness gracious. If now Peyton Manning again, he went to the Denver Broncos at the time when he was in his mid to late thirties. But we're speaking about some some players in Montana and Peyton Manning who weren't quite at the age, the advanced age, football age that say Tom Brady is gonna be. But if you take a look at it, Joe Montana was coming off an injury when he got traded or when he left to Played for the Kansas City Chiefs. Peyton Manning was coming off a neck injury when he decided to apply his talents to the Denver Broncos organization. As far as health is concerned, even with all of these football players, all of these quarterbacks who decided to take their talents somewhere else, I would say even at 43 years old, Tom Brady is in better shape than any of these guys. Brett Favre played the last three seasons in the league, one with the Jets and two with the Minnesota Vikings from 2008 2010, 2008 with the New York Jets, 9 and 10 with the Minnesota Vikings. He compiled a 26 and 17 record as a starter. He went to the 2009 NFC Championship game against the Saints. That season, 2009, his last uh, really good season at the age of 40, threw 33 touchdown passes, seven interceptions, 4,200 yards, 68% completion percentage. He was, he was right there, man. And then he threw a badass interception against the uh, Saints in the NFC Championship game after getting his ass kicked that game by the pass rush by the New Orleans Saints. But uh, that was the last hurrah in terms of a productive season for Brett Favre for the last season that he was with Minnesota. He had a consecutive game streak snapped. It was a bad season for the Vikings, and the writing was on the wall very early that this was going to be the last season or should be the last season for Brett Favre. So with all of those examples that I just mentioned about Brady, excuse me, about Favre, about Manning, about Montana, where is history directing us? What is history telling us right now that I think Brady is going to have a very productive first season with Tampa. 
And then after that, he's going to regress. I think there's going to be somewhat of a bounce back from the numbers that he put up last season. I think he's going to be rejuvenated again. If the NFL starts on time, if he has an opportunity to mesh and learn and talk to and get to know his teammates better, both from a personality standpoint and from a playing standpoint, if there's going to be some light at the end of the tunnel of this Corona epidemic that possibly that those guys can get together, that the teams can participate in some off-season workouts that I think that Brady is going to have a, a bounce-back season. He's going to be surrounded by better talent on the offensive side of the football. And I think that uh, being the competitor that he is, the way he takes care, of, the way he takes care of, of himself, I think that he's going to have that first season with Tampa Bay. I think he's going to have a bounce-back season. Now, does that mean he's going to be taking them and winning the Super Bowl? I didn't say that. Am I saying that he's going to have the type of season that, say, Peyton Manning had in 2015 or 20, excuse me, 2013 where he Manning threw for 55 touchdowns and 50-something hundred yards and everything like that? No, I don't think Tom Brady is going to have that type of impact. But I do think, just like Joe Montana, that he's going to put up very good numbers, not pedestrian, but very good numbers. And I think the Tampa Bay is going to be good, and I think they're going to be a playoff team. But ultimately, I don't think that they're going to be able – to get to the Super Bowl, even with Tom Brady. And then after that, Tom Brady's skills, age, everything that falls into it is going to have him regress. I don't think that he's going to fall off a cliff, but I think that the second year with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers is definitely not going to be as good as the first season. I say for the 2020 season, if you're a Tampa Bay Buccaneers, expect the Tom Brady that you're going to be seeing walking on that field is going to be the best Tom Brady that you're going to be getting during his stay at the quarterback for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I don't think he's going to do what Johnny United did with the San Diego Chargers. I don't think he's going to do what, say, the <clears throat> say that uh, Joe Namath did when he was with the Los Angeles Rams. I don't think it's going to be that horrible. But I think you're going to see some, I think near the end of the second season with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I think it's going to move to, hey, maybe Tom should... Uh, Look to do something else in terms of uh, being being a uh, professional football player. I think his time is done. So, if you're a Tampa Bay Buccaneer fan, enjoy the first season. God willing, if we have one for the NFL season for the 2020 season, enjoy what Tom Brady is going to bring to the football field because after that is not nearly going to match or accomplish anything that he's going to be doing as long as he's a member of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. <laughs> Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Hope everybody is being safe, I hope everybody is being responsible, I hope everybody is taking heed to what we need to do to end this pandemic, to end this epidemic named the coronavirus. We're going to go, we're going to get through this, eventually, no matter how bad it gets, civilization is not going to end, even for those in Italy, even for those in China, civilization will continue now, what type of civilization are we going to have when everything is all said and done? Well, we don't know yet. That's going to be up to you. 
to see if we're going to have the type of civilization that we can recognize and moving forward what does that mean it's going to be it's going to be interesting as i sit here in my town home recording this on an early saturday morning should have done this sooner i know I should have done this sooner, but you know what, man? I'm not working right now in terms of my job. You know, I work for the Clark County School District, and we're not working right now. We're going to be off for a minimum of three weeks, which in all actuality, we're probably going to be ending the school year. I don't see. I mean, when we come back, if we came back in April and school was going to be ending near the end of May, I don't know the way things are right now. I mean, hell, the strip is shut down for 30 days, so. I don't know how Governor Sisolak is going to say kids go back to school on the 13th of 6th through the 13th was our spring break. So I don't see how that's going to, I don't see, see how that's going to happen. So for the last, I don't know, couple of days, I've just been trying to see what I can do to uh, survive. See what I can do to survive, just like you and just like millions of others, no matter how much money you're making, no matter what position that you're in, in terms of your employment i mean you have to kind of step back and reevaluate and that's exactly what i've been doing so this is the reason why i finally got the opportunity to go ahead and do this podcast i'm still ubering and that's one of the main reasons one of the main reasons why i really haven't done it is because i'm at the whim of uber because i need to make some money and i ain't gonna make the same amount of money teaching as i did as i am ubering so it's been slow, it's been inconsistent, so you could have a stretch of three to four hours where you ain't getting nothing, and then you could have a stretch of an hour where you're getting three rides, and then that's going to be it for the rest of the day, but I always have to be on guard in terms of having my app on, so if a ride does, you know, if I get a ping or get a ride re- request, you're damn right, I ain't declining shit, <laughs> I tell you, I ain't declining nothing when it comes to uh, picking up folks in Uber, I don't give a damn what part of town, I don't give a damn anything about that nonsense. Every single Uber ride I need because you never know the way things are going right now from day to day. You never know if that ride that you decline, that's going to be your last one for the day. I could be sitting up here right now. It's almost noon. As soon as this is done, as soon as I'm done with my recording this podcast, I'm turning on that app and I'm just waiting and I'm just going to be waiting. And I'm probably going to be getting on it at like around 12.15, is when I'll turn on the app. And who knows, man, I might get a call to pick up somebody in five minutes or it could be five hours or it couldn't be anything at all. But that's what I'm all about, man. That's what that's one of the reasons why, again, I didn't have the opportunity to sit down. I couldn't really carve out two hours or two and a half hours, three hours, not just to only record, but also to edit, publish all of those things that you need to do when you're doing a podcast, the whole thing as far as recording, editing, and everything like that takes hours. So I don't, I didn't have hours to have my app off during the week and do a podcast because I needed to make some money because this is the first week that um, I'm not getting a paycheck from the Clark County School District with me being a substitute teacher. Yeah, it's nice to be screwed. Very nice to be screwed. They didn't even leave me a note. They didn't even kiss me in the morning. They just bent me over, did what they needed to do until I fell asleep, and then they then they left. They didn't even put the garage door down. Could you imagine that? They didn't even bring in the mail. That's how much Clark County thinks of us as substitute teachers. Everybody else is getting paid and getting some type of severance. We're not. But you know what, man? That's what life is all about. That's what I chose to do at the present time. So we'll see what happens. God is on my side, hopefully. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, 
Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us talking about free agency in the NFL. So we talked about Tom Brady, his impact, what he's going to be doing with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at the starting quarterback. But to every game, let's talk about, I'm not talking about Andrew Yang. Let's talk about where does New England go from here? Is their dominance over? I mean, we're talking about a team in New England where they've won the AFC East 17 of the last 19 years. They've only had two losing seasons in the past 25 seasons. The AFC East is there for the taking if you say someone like the Buffalo Bills who should be favored going into next season. They won 10 games last season. They should have the best starting quarterback of the division in Josh Allen if he continues to improve. I know Brian Flores, the coach, of the Miami Dolphins surprise what he did with a team that was basically supposed to be tanking to get the number one pick. They got close. They got in the top five, but they have a whole bunch of money to spend. And the only reason why I'm going to say that I'm not really believing just yet with the Miami Dolphins is a, I don't know who they're getting in terms of all the money that they have. And B again, we don't know when it's going to be copacetic for the society to get back to the point where there's going to be group gatherings or group settings. So even if the Dolphins do go out and get these free agent acquisitions, they spend all this money and turn over their roster in terms of in terms of new guys, if there's no OTAs, if there's no training camps, how are these guys going to be able to gain chemistry and cohesion and mesh together? They're going to have to be doing that on the fly. There ain't going to be enough preseason football games to get themselves into a working condition as far as being fluent and being cohesive on the field. So, boy, they're going to be taking the first eight, nine, ten weeks to finally get their uh, cohesion down. One of the reasons why, even with all of the cap space, even if they spend it wisely, I'm really not a big fan of the Miami Dolphins moving forward for this season. I believe in Brian Flores, the coach. And also, you have to think to yourself, and asks yourself if you're a Miami Dolphin fan, who's exactly going to be playing quarterback for them this season? Are they going to get themselves to a tongue of Iloa? Are they going to draft themselves Justin Herbert out of Oregon? And if they do, again, without any type of OTAs or anything like that, how much is that going to limit his ability, a quarterback's ability, whether it be Tua, whether it be Herbert, whether it be Justin Love, the kid out of Utah State, how much is that going to inhibit the opportunity for him to be successful if, again, they don't have the full offseason to work, get to know each other, get the playbook, get the cadence, get the chemistry going with their receivers. How is that going to work moving forward? So even with the loss of Tom Brady, I still believe in Bill Belichick, and I think this was a situation where the relationship had run its course even after 20 years. I'm one of these guys who are still naive enough to say to hear when – People get divorced after 20, 25, sometimes 30 years. I always sit up there and say, really? How the hell can you guys get divorced after 25 years? I think after maybe 10 or 12 or 14 years of marriage, it's like, okay, we got this in the bag. We kind of know what we're doing. We kind of got through the the bad times. Everything else should be copacetic. But no, man, after 20, 25 years, plenty of folks go their separate ways. Plenty of folks in the relationship. No different as in their marriages. No different as far as a marriage between a coach and a quarterback. You would think with all the success that Bill Belichick and Tom Brady had together that it's like, well, I'm really not interested to see what would happen to us if we go our separate ways. But 
I think it was a situation where both it was amicable, where it was like, you know, Tom Brady wanted to move on and try something else. And Bill Belichick was like, cool, it's time for me to move on and see what we can do about uh, improving the team, going in a different direction with a different starting quarterback. So I don't think it was a situation where either one was begging for one to leave and another one to stay or anything like that. I just think it came to, it can run its course. Now let's see what we can do moving forward. And when we're old and gray, well, Bill Belichick is already old. I don't know how gray he is, but you know, when our football careers are over and we want to get together at some functions or whatever, we can be friends. We can be cool. We can laugh and joke and this, that, and the other, but you know, we can have a good relationship, but as far as this working relationship, this working marriage that we've had for 20 years, the relationship between Belichick and Tom Brady, it's over. So I'm I'm thinking in that frame of mind that I think that the New England Patriots are going to be okay. I understand going forward, the question is who's going to play quarterback. You've got only two QBs left on the roster as of right now. If you're speaking about Cody Kessler and, and Jared Stinham, and Stinham, I think, is their project. 23-year-old fourth-round draft pick, number 133, drafted overall in 2019. He appeared in three games, completed two or four passes for about 14 yards, but the team seems to be high on him. Bill Belichick has said great things about him, even though in the one game that he played, I think it was against Miami or some team, they were up by a lot. Stinham came in through an interception, to a pick six, and Belichick was like, get Brady back in there for God fucking sakes. The fuck with that. But uh, other than that, I mean, you know, the scuttlebutt around the thoughts and feelings around the Patriots organization about Jared Stidham is positive. So maybe it's a situation where, again, due to the lack of OTAs and training camps and everything, maybe as of for this upcoming season that they go ahead, they stick with a quarterback who... He knows the system. He knows the language. He has worked with Josh McDaniels. He's been with them for a, for a few years. So let's just go into the let's just go into the season with that. Now, could they bring in another quarterback? I mean, you take a look at James Winston is available. Cam Newton is available. Andy Dalton are possibilities. Those quarterbacks are possibilities if they get desperate enough. Maybe someone like a Joe Flacco is still on the market. Maybe someone like a Blake Bortles is still on the market. Who knows? Who knows? I mean, will they go ahead and grab somebody? Jalen Hurts. So will they try to move up and pick somebody in terms of a, a draft pick is concerned? Will they go out and get themselves a Jake and State from, or will they go out and get themselves a, the, the Easton kid who played at the University of Washington after transferring from Georgia? What do we do? Where do we go? What are your thoughts and feelings when it comes to what the New England Patriots are going to do? I don't know. Who knows, man? I'm not sitting down there with, I'm not sitting there with Bill Belichick. I don't know what he's going to be doing. You don't know what he's going to be doing either. I I haven't seen enough of Jared Stidham play, and I don't have the acumen. I don't have the experience. I don't have the knowledge to sit there and to break down the game of Jared Stidham and see if he was going to be a good fit for what the New England Patriots want to run. So I'm just going to have to put my faith in Bill Belichick and his resume and the success that he's had and say that uh, whatever decision that he makes to go at quarterback is going to be the best decision for the team, whether that be to stick with Kessler, better be to go in there with Stidham, go in there and get themselves a uh, quarterback through trade or free agency. I don't know. I don't know. If anybody 
who I'm thinking about and the names that I mentioned, Jacoby Brissett, Blake Bortles, Joe Flacco, Cam Newton, Jameis Winston, the one quarterback who I see could fit if New England wanted to go outside of the organization and find themselves a quarterback. I think the one that could resemble Tom Brady the most in terms of what he could give to the New England Patriots for this upcoming season is Andy Dalton, who's going to be no longer needed because Cincinnati, for all intents and purposes, has told everybody that they're going to be drafting Joe Burrow. There hasn't been anything in the interim to suggest that Cincinnati is going to be going in another direction. So because of that, hey, this could be a situation where the Patriots could get themselves uh, get themselves on into the game of getting Andy Dalton. And I think that, again, he's the player that most resembles Brady. He's smart. He's a team guy. He's kind of like cut from that Alex Smith mold. You know, the f- player who was uh, played for the San Francisco 49ers, played for the Washington Snyderskins before he blew out his knee. But I think Andy Dalton is cut from that cloth. And when you're cut from that cloth, that usually goes as far as being defined as if you put good talent around him, if you put them in a good system, He's the type of guy that could be very successful. He's not going to go out and do what Jameis Winston does and throw 30 interceptions. He's not going to be making bad decisions. He's a really good system type of quarterback, speaking about Andy Dalton. I think that system could work well for him if New England were to get his hands on him. Throughout his career, he's had a completion rate of, speaking of Dalton, had a completion rate of 62%. He threw him for 204 touchdowns, 118 interceptions. He's had some success playing quarterback for the Cincinnati Bengals. Not a easy thing to do if you take a look at that organization. So if the Patriots were to go outside of the franchise and get themselves a quarterback somewhere else, my guess, my estimation would be that it would be someone like an Andy Dalton. Now you speak about, well, what about Cam Newton? Health has been a major problem. I mean, we're speaking about the 2015 NFL MVP, but since then, Cam has been too injury prone. The last three years, he's had two shoulder surgeries. Another this past off, uh, this past December, a foot injury that ended his 2019 season. I don't think that uh, at 30 years old, I think Cam Newton is an old 33. And when you take a look at Newton, what made him so special, it wasn't his pro- uh, prolific passing, but it was his overall ability to pass and to run made up for the lack of accuracy with the fact that this was a guy who was 6'5", 250 pounds, tremendous athlete. He could get out in the open field and do some things. He wasn't Lamar Jackson, of course, but uh, he could do some things with his feet So, and his athleticism. So when that starts to decline because of injury, well, then what you're left with as far as Cam Newton being a guy who can lead a team to a Super Bowl championship. Not much. Wendell's World in Sports, the podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Jameis Winston, famous Jameis. I think, yeah, and people laugh and scoff and joke about the 30 interceptions. I understand that. But man, there were some times, I even said it in my podcast sometimes, where I thought that Winston was right on the cusp of becoming that quarterback that many people thought they were going to be getting when he was drafted number one in the um, in the NFL a few years ago or years ago, I thought that there was plenty of times. I saw him play a game against two games. There was a game against the New York Giants. There was a game against the Los Angeles Rams. And he was balling, man. 
he was balling like a mug. And I just thought to myself, and I said this on my podcast, I was like, man, Jameis Winston, you know what? He might be actually turning the corner. The light bulb might be coming on. He might be getting it if I could use those cliches to talk about Jameis Winston because one of the things that I liked, you know, and we, we, we saw this in the that uh, HBO uh, Hard Knocks where, you know, it seemed like when they did the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and I was taking a look at that, it seemed to me like Jameis Winston was just too much of an immature clown for some reason. He didn't look like a leader. He was still learning on the job how to become a leader. And I, I really wasn't impressed with his leadership skills. And, of course, some of the off-the-field transactions um, dampered that opportunity even more. But what I saw when I was seeing him play again throughout the season and mainly highlighting the games against New York the Giants and the Los Angeles Rams, I saw a guy who was so much more mature on the football field. And, of course, every time the Jameis would get in trouble, oh, I'm going to learn, I'm going to get better, this is my mistake, it was a bad decision, I'm going to learn from it. And it gets to the point where it's like, you know what, you got to show me, don't tell me. And those games that I was watching, he was showing me that, you know what, this, this guy is maybe starting to really get it. And then he'd go out the next game and throw five interceptions. Ah, but you know what? The only reason why I'm saying all these things is because I, I, there's some talent there. There's some upside there. I mean, there's a guy that still, I think, could be a pro bowler. I think you put him in the right situation, maybe he needs a year or two to sit on the bench. Maybe. Put him in a really strong organization. Put him behind a really good quarterback. Put him behind a smart quarterback. Give him a really good offensive coordinator. And just let him maybe sit for a year, year and a half. Pull him back out there. Let's see what he does. I'm not ready to give up on Jameis Winston. I'm ready to give up on Jameis Winston as being a starting quarterback for the 2020 season. I'll say that. I think anywhere he needs to go, he needs to be a backup. I don't think Winston will ever fulfill his potential, the expectations that he had coming out of Florida State, if he jumps right back into being a starting quarterback for next season. I say, look, do what maybe Ryan Tannehill did. Tannehill was a guy who was a starter for a few years with the Miami Dolphins. Things didn't work out. He went to be a backup with the Tennessee Titans behind Marcus Mariota. Mariota was effective because of a strong running game with the Titans with Derrick Henry and the coaching of Mike Vrabel. Tannehill found himself in a great situation. Tannehill found himself making $62 million guaranteed over four years, a big fat signing bonus. Let's see where Jameis Winston goes. Let's see. I mean, I could maybe see him. I would love to see a possibility. And maybe the, the city itself might put a little trepidation into this thought about him, about Jameis going there and improving as a football player and improving as a human being. But wouldn't you maybe like to see the possibility, maybe be taking his talents to Los Angeles, playing with the Rams, learning learning the uh, learning have Sean McVay teaching him you know sitting behind Jared Goff maybe something like that now I know that the Rams signed Jared Goff to a huge contract and it's not ready even it's not even close to the point where you can make a decision on Goff with the money that they're paying him that they're going to be going in a different direction but I would love to see someone like a Jameis Winston 
under the tutelage of someone like a Sean McVay. I would maybe love to see him go to the Los Angeles Chargers if the Chargers don't draft themselves a quarterback and have Winston uh, sit and play under, you know, work in that organization. I think Winston could reevaluate and rebuild his career very well if he went somewhere like the Pittsburgh Steelers and waited a year or two until Ben Roethlisberger either got hurt or retired. I think those are situations. I'm, again, at 26 years old and the talent that he shows in flashes or has shown in flashes, I'm not ready to give up again on Jameis Winston. But one place, I don't know, man. You think he would be working out with with uh, New England? Belichick, and maybe more than just Belichick, Josh McDaniels. That would work. I guess that would work. But I think some of the passes, passes that Winston would throw would drive Bill Belichick nuts. So I don't know. So if you're the San Francisco, excuse me, if you're the New England Patriots, I mean, where do you go? Winston, Newton, Dalton, would you draft a QB? I've mentioned it many times before. If I'm the Patriots, why not draft themselves a, a, a Jalen Hurts? You speak about the strong relationship that Nick Saban and Bill Belichick have, have with each other, so trying to find out exactly what Jalen Hurts is all about, I'm quite sure that because of their friendships, their friendship, that Bill Belichick already has a pretty good idea or a really good idea of what Jalen Hurts is as a football player and as a human being, someone that could work well in the Patriots way, the Patriots organization. You're looking for a quarterback. I mentioned before in my other podcast about the strengths and weaknesses of, of, of Hurts. A lot of the weaknesses can be corrected. So if I'm the New England Patriots, do I buck the tradition that I've set forth, that Bill Belichick has laid forth? Do I go ahead and draft myself a Jalen Hurts Maybe in the late first round, maybe in the second round, I move up to pick him in the second round. Who knows? Look, in the 25 drafts, when he was the coach with the Cleveland Browns and now with the Patriots, Belichick has never selected a quarterback with a top 60 pick. The closest one is Jimmy Garoppolo, and that was taken with pick number 62. So we'll see. We'll see. I still think that uh, when everything is all said and done, I just went through all of the quarterback situations. I think when everything is said and done, because of Bill Belichick's resume, because of the work that he's done to become Bill Belichick, one of the greatest coaches in NFL history, I think whatever he does is going to work well for the New England Patriots. Not well enough for them to have the dominance that they've had while being in the Tom Brady, Bill Belichick era. But, but again, because of who Bill Belichick is, you don't tug on Superman's cape. You don't spit into the wind. You don't pull the mask off an old Lone Ranger, and you don't doubt Bill Belichick in terms of what he can do to rebuild the New England Patriots and make them a winner very, very soon, starting with the quarterback position.
Wendell's World is Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Speaking about what's going down in the NFLs and free agency, taking a look at what's going down with the New England Patriots, taking a look at what's happening with some of the NFL free agents, such as from the quarterback position. And now we're going to move on to what in the name of holy hell is the Houston Texans head coach and general manager Bill O'Brien, Billy O. What the hell is he doing, man? And really, after a move like that, that's a fireable offense. That is a fireable offense. Now, I know everything probably had to go through the owner, but what in the hell is he doing trading away DeAndre Hopkins? Bill O'Brien needs to be fired, especially, especially if what Michael Irvin said was true about a conversation that O'Brien had with DeAndre Hopkins before trading him. If that's true, get him out. So DeAndre Hopkins was traded to Arizona. Hopkins in a fourth round pick go to the Cardinals for running back David Johnson in the second round pick this year in a fourth round pick next year made no fucking sense with that. No, no fucking sense at all. None. Why the hell are you going to trade Hopkins? He's a three time first team all pro receiver. He had three years remaining on a contract, which was friendly, reasonable, $39.9 million. None of it was guaranteed. I mean, he's, basically making about $13.13 million per year until 2023. So basically Hopkins is being paid like he's the league's 15th best wide receiver while he's putting up top five production numbers. And if you're speaking about the relationship that he's had on the field with uh, Deshaun Watson, what the fuck are you doing? So what, salary cap? The trade wouldn't bring back much in terms of immediate salary cap relief. Getting rid of Hopkins only saved the Texans a little more than $3,000 for 2020. So, I mean, you take a look. So what are the Houston Texans all about now? Will Fuller, Kenny Stills, DeAndre Carter, Stephen Mitchell, Chad Hansen, Isaac Whitney. What the fuck is that? And you had DeAndre Hopkins. And the relationship, again, that he had with Deshaun Watson, last season, Hopkins caught 104 passes for 150 targets for 1,165 yards, right? Wolf Fuller was the second in terms of passes and targets. So Fuller caught 49 passes and on 71 targets. Again, compare that to DeAndre Hopkins, who caught 104 passes, on 150 targets. That's more than doubled than what Will Fuller gave these guys, who was the second leading receiver. What is, DeAndre, what is Deshaun Watson thinking about right now? Are you kidding me? There's not enough good players in the draft. There's not enough good enough wide receivers for you to draft. And even if you are going to draft a wide receiver, you're hoping and that you're praying that he turns into, I don't know, a receiver like DeAndre Hopkins, someone you already had. And if you take a look at OBJ's deal, if you take a look at uh, Michael Thomas's deal, I'm sorry. If you're going to be the type of player that DeAndre Hopkins is from the wide receiver positions, positions, you are going to have to pay him. Isn't the fact that you traded DeAndre Hopkins for a running back who essentially makes the same amount of money, it makes no sense, especially in today's NFL, when a number one wide receiver is a much better option, is much more valuable, than a running back who's trying to regain 
some of the productivity that he lost a few years ago. So we're not even getting the David Johnson that was a fantasy owner's dream from a few years ago from what he can do from the backfield and as a pass-catching running back. So you're going to trade DeAndre Hopkins, arguably your best player on the team, the most important player on your team, really outside of the outside of Deshaun Watson, you're going to trade him for not even a first-round pick? Amari Cooper got a first-round pick. Odell Beckham Jr. got a first-round pick. What the hell are you doing, Bill O'Brien? And because of the coronavirus, he's not going to hold any press conferences. He's not going to be held to be answered any of these questions, at least not for right now. Because none of this makes any type of sense. None whatsoever. And especially then, when you add in the conversation that Michael Irvin was talking about, what he told ESPN, a discussion that Hopkins had with Bill O'Brien, which Hopkins told Michael Irvin. So according to Hopkins, here we go. According to Hopkins, O'Brien sat him down to talk to him about life and brought up Aaron Hernandez, who if you remember, played for O'Brien in New England and was later convicted of murder, who, thank goodness, finally killed himself. So when Bill O'Brien was the offensive coordinator, quarterback coach, he had the opportunity to coach Aaron Hernandez. Now, of course, he didn't know, like anybody else, he didn't know that he was running around murdering people and being a straight menace to society. But, you know, there were some things in the locker room, immaturity and some other things that gave pause of course, nothing to the degree of him running out and murdering people and trying to be a thug. But the fact that O'Brien would compare or bring up the name Aaron Hernandez, what does that have to do? If I'm Deshaun Watson, like, what the fuck does that have to do with anything? So what Hopkins told Irvin, he said, the last time I had a meeting like this, this is what O'Brien told Hopkins. He said, the last time I had a meeting like this, it was with Aaron Hernandez. Now, I don't know what that meeting was all about. I'm quite sure it could be talking about pass routes. It could be talking about anything. I don't know. But again, why the hell are you bringing up the name Aaron Hernandez? We don't know what context it was going to be, but the fact that Hopkins was not pleased with the comment probably tells me that it had nothing to do with his productivity or what he could be doing as a football player. So Irvin also says that O'Brien questioned how Hopkins was living his personal life. He said that he told DeAndre he doesn't like that he has his baby mamas around sometimes. From there, I think the relationship just went bad. I mean, what the hell is going on here? What? What? That, that was, what, with the dead Bryant a couple of years ago where Jeff Ireland, who was the um, GM of the Miami Dolphins, was talking about, I heard that your mom is a prostitute or some nonsense like that when they were going through the uh, draft interview process a few years ago, years ago now with Death Bryant. And that was offensive and ignorant and stupid and ridiculous. Well, what the hell does DeAndre baby mamas, what what the hell are you talking about? Why, why are you bringing that up? He brings around his baby mamas sometimes. You know what? If bringing around your baby mamas causes you to play football like you're doing, bring them all there. Bring them around all the time. Hell, we'll even let them fly on the plane with you. Hell, we'll even have them hanging around while you're, while you're dressing for the game. Hell, we'll even have them go to the press media. Uh, we'll have them go to the post conference, press conference, and have them with you. If that's the type of football player you're going to be to have your baby mamas around, hell yeah. Bring them all the time. Bring them all over the place. Bring your baby mamas, your daddies, your grandparents, your uncles, your aunts. Fuck it. I don't give a shit. If that's the way you're going to play, hell yeah. Go for it. But my point is, why are you even going to bring that up? 
Was there some type of confrontation with that in the locker room? Was DeAndre Hopkins' demeanor, character, personality, was it rubbing some players the wrong way, mainly Deshaun Watson? I mean, was it a situation like that? Because if outside of that, unless Deshaun Watson said, look, I, you know, I just can't work with this guy. I just can't. I, I just, you know, I just don't like him. He's going to be the reason why I leave. He's going to be the reason why I regress as a quarterback. He's going to be the reason why I'm not going to put in all that I can to be a great quarterback. Unless Deshaun Watson came up to a management or organization and, and, and made those statements, which I highly doubt he did, just the type of person and the character that Deshaun Watson is, even if he didn't like someone like a DeAndre Hopkins, he wasn't going to go ahead and do those things. He has too much character. He has too much moral and personal pride from what I can see from the outside looking in. That's what I garner, that he wasn't going to be doing something like that. So outside of something ridiculous like that, why in the world would his off-the-field situations or relationships, why would, that, why would that be any of your business? Again, if it was affecting his play on the field, I mean, maybe, possibly, but still, leave that shit alone. Why, are we going to be critiquing what you do in the offseason, Bill? Are we going to be critiquing what you do when you leave the Houston Texans organization and practice facilities and such? Maybe there's something in your personal life which is preventing you to be from being a better head coach or being a better general manager? Are we going to be asking about your situations? Hey, man, if you're living in the glass house, don't throw no stones. And I'm not saying I know anything personal about Bill O'Brien, but come on, man, this is the NFL. You're talking about a league where you have guys beating up women, where you have guys, DUIs. You have guys who are committing crimes all the flipping time for the most part. Bringing around baby mamas or not approving the fact that he's having children with different women. Who fucking, who in the, who, who gave you that permission? Who do you think you are to ask someone like that? It's just ridiculous to me. And that, if that was true, again, we don't know because of the virus, because of the coronavirus, we haven't had the things be put in place. We haven't been in a position for Bill O'Brien to respond to any of these allegations. So we, so we don't know. I'm not saying that Bill O'Brien said this. I'm just going on the... I'm giving my thoughts and opinions about if he said these things. I don't know. I wasn't in the room. So I, I'm not castigating any blame on Bill O'Brien. I'm just saying in the scenario that if he did say these things, he shouldn't have a job. He should be, he should be fired immediately. Immediately. Like yesterday. He should be fired like Alex Cora quick in terms of uh, him losing his job. That's unacceptable. Don't be delving into people's personal life like that with that type. Of, you don't have that type of relationship. I'm guessing if the inter, if the discussion with Hopkins was not received well by Hopkins, it seems to me that you don't have that type of relationship with that player to be asking those type of questions, to be making those type of comments. It's just it, it was just interesting to me. So now you have a guy going into. Now you have a team that's going into the season where they traded Jadavion Clowney and DeAndre Hopkins, and they couldn't even get a first-round pick for either of those guys. And going into the draft, the Houston Texans don't have a first-round draft pick. What are you doing? What exactly are you doing to Deshaun Watson? 
And we picked up Larry Tun- Laramie Tunsil. That's great and everything. You still need weapons. I mean, I'm glad that, you know, in somehow, some way that you address the offensive line for your team because Deshaun Watson was getting killed out there. But you're, you're taking a look at the short term and not thinking about the long term when you make some of these moves, and especially if you're not going to get true value. Look, this, whenever you trade someone like a Jadavion Clowney, whenever you trade somebody like a DeAndre Hopkins, you're never going to get dollar for dollar. We understand that. Never going to happen. But damn, could you at least get 65 to 70 cents? 75 if you're really, really good? If you really find an owner or a general manager that you can dupe, maybe at the best you can get 75% of your return from trading someone like a DeAndre Hopkins, who, again, I feel is a top three, top four, top five receiver, at the very worst, a top five receiver. But not even get a first-round pick, which, as Nick Wright explained, that you probably just took the first deal that you had, that you saw. You're going to try to tell me you couldn't call up the New England Patriots and say, hey, you know what, I took a look at your... I took a look at your wide receiving situation. I see that Tom Brady is looking to eye somewhere else and looking to go a place where he can win. Can we talk and see what we can do about maybe maneuvering for something where, you know, you can get DeAndre Hopkins? You don't think having DeAndre Hopkins on the New England Patriots would have interest Tom Brady? Maybe it wouldn't have. I don't know. But if I'm the New England Patriots, why not? Might as well give it a shot. Again, unless... The Patriots were like, nah, we're cool. If Tom wants to move on, that's good enough for us because I really do want him to move on. But look, there's a relationship there between O'Brien and Bill Belichick. You couldn't at least call up Belichick and see what's up, what's happening, what's going on. Let's talk. What do you got for me? A team like New England who needs a wide receiver? Instead, you go ahead and trade them to the Arizona Cardinals for a broken down running back? I don't understand it. I really don't. Look, I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm not an NFL football coach. I'm not an NFL scout. I'm not on the practice field. I'm not in the meeting room. I don't have the experience or the intelligence or the expertise of being a head football coach like Bill O'Brien. So I don't know. I don't know the relationship. I don't know the personality. I've never met DeAndre Hopkins. I've never met Bill O'Brien. I've never been with those two in a room. I haven't talked to any of the Houston Texans and find out exactly what's going on and why DeAndre Hopkins was traded, what the what their relationship was with him and what the relationship was between that wide receiver and the head coach. I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea. But from the outside looking in, this makes no fucking sense whatsoever. None. None. You're almost kind of hoping that it comes down to a personality conflict because just based on performance alone, I don't see any way, anyhow, that you could be trading DeAndre Hopkins for the haul that you got. Again, especially when you have a guy who could be a potential MVP, a potential top three or four or five quarterback in the league for the next eight to 10 to 12 years, like DeAndre, like uh, Deshaun Watson, and you're going to do this to him. I would like to see the late, I would like to see what Deshaun Watson's reaction was when all of this stuff went down. It's just amazing to me. And again, if it's true, I don't know. I don't know if it is. I don't know. But if it is true that what Michael Irvin is talking about in terms of the conversation that Bill O'Brien and DeAndre Hopkins had when, again, he brought up, Bill Bill O'Brien brought up Aaron Hernandez or brought up the fact that his baby mamas are around sometime. He doesn't like that. If those things are true, 
Bill O'Brien needs to go. And I don't mean, I'm not talking about tomorrow. I'm not talking about when the league commences. I'm not talking about when the virus is over. I'm not talking about when it's safe for people to get together. I'm talking about call his punk ass up. If this is true, if this is true, call his ass up yesterday and fire him the day before that. Windows World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Oh, man, let me end this podcast. First of all, thank you very much for listening, and I appreciate that. I mean, it's not like y'all have anything else to do, right? It's not like you're going to work, not like you're doing anything, sitting at home, relaxing. How many old basketball, football, hockey, baseball games can you watch, right? So I thank you for having the time to listen to my podcast, go to iTunes, rate, review, and do all of those things as I'm looking to move, looking to move this podcast up to bigger and better things. Eventually, I'm going to stop, start having guests, but you know, you got to start walking before you start running. So as of right now, I'm still trying to build this bad boy. I'm still trying to put the foundation down and I'm just seeing what I can do to be a better podcaster than a broadcaster for the last 20 years, giving my thoughts and feelings and opinions about things. Love doing that. Love doing that uh, very much. But um, learning on the fly about podcasting. And so far, so good. I'm enjoying it. So I'm going to continue to work hard. I'm going to continue to get better. And once the clouds of this coronavirus dissipate, I will be able to bask in the glow and the sunshine of prosperity and move forward to see what I can do to uh, make this the best possible podcast that you can listen to. So as I'm in the building stage, as I'm in the infancy stage, still, I'm trying to get this thing together of where it needs to be. I thank you very much for allowing me to do this and for you to listen to my podcast. It really, really means a lot. Hey, um, I want to end again with everybody stay safe. Everybody be good. Look, we're trying to get over this thing, man. And, you know, people are talking about, we will, we will. One of the things that uh, we always talk, I talked about it before on my uh, podcast the last time was, you know, when adversity like this strikes, people stick together and we'll help each other out and this, that, and the other. Bullshit. No, I don't know how it's like on the continent of Africa. I don't know what it's like in Spain. I don't know what it's like in Canada. I don't know what it's like in South America. I don't know what it's like over in the, I don't know what it's like in the rest of the world. I don't know what it's like in Australia in terms of people's dedication and love for each other and helping out their fellow woman and man and child and everything like that. I don't know. 
I haven't been to Australia, bucket list. Hopefully when you guys get your wildfire together and rebuild that continent and rebuild those places, I can go to the Australian Open and one of my bucket list moments and I can go over to Perth and I can go to Melbourne and Sydney and all of those things. If I can just endure the 18 hour flight that it would take to get from my destination over to Australia, but bucket list, I want to get over there. I want to go over to Paris. I want to go to France. I want to go to Spain. I want to go to, eventually, I'd like to end up maybe possibly living in Toronto or Vancouver, but the cost of living is tremendous. That's the reason why I got to get this podcast really good so I can afford to live somewhere in Vancouver, the most beautiful city in North America, or maybe on the outskirts of Toronto, Brampton, somewhere around there. You know, but basically what I'm trying to say is the fact that in, here in America, here in America, the United States of America, one thing that the coronavirus is doing is showing that people here in America, capitalist society, right? Well, we've uh, always been a selfish society for the most part. Again, I'm not going to say that the entire population in this country are selfish. Of, of course not. But there's a good enough number of people that are only thinking of themselves first, second, and third, always, always. And something like the coronavirus has shown that, that people are going to be selfish. People are going to think about themselves. And there's been a good enough people. Look, I'm looking outside of my my place right now, and there's, um, there's nobody out there. There's nobody really out there. And, you know, driving downtown a little bit just to take a look and see what's going on at the Strip, because, I mean, damn, the Strip, in Las Vegas, it's completely locked down. The Bellagio done, the wind done, the all the casinos are on the strip, closed, done, nothing. It's a ghost town down there. Nobody walking around. So people are heeding some of the words and some of the words of wisdom that are coming from those from the CDC in terms of what we can do to help prevent greater damage to our society because of the coronavirus, but I just still see too many people, still see people out there, young, old, just ignoring, just not doing what you're supposed to be doing. And look, I got into a scrap, verbal scrap argument with a friend of mine because I was like texting on a group text and I was like, this is fucking ridiculous. I mean, these people who are out there waiting in line, ignoring what's going on, not, not, um, staying true to the, you need to st- stay six feet away from folks. I mean, you motherfuckers are fucking idiots. I mean, you people are really fucking morons. I mean, how you you have people from the CDC and people who have been chasing and learning and trying to come up with vaccines for these viruses for decades, trying to show you the best way what we can do to end this so we can possibly get back to life the way it somewhat was. And you motherfuckers are out there saying, fuck you, I'm not going to do it. And because of that, you are hampering my situation. Yeah, taking it from a selfish standpoint, whenever these folks are out here are not doing what they're supposed to be doing, you are hurting me. Because if you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, for us to get back to a semblance of a normal life is going to be delayed. And because of that, I'm not going to get a fucking paycheck from the Clark County School District because you selfish motherfuckers are only thinking about yourself. And it just perturbs me to no end, but they don't give a shit. They don't give a fuck. Fuck it. I'm out for me, myself, and I. So the guy, you know, so my buddy of mine basically said, well, you know, you don't know the situation. And, you know, how about those folks who are in line or going to the grocery store or going to places where 
you know, you need to get the essentials. You know, they live with their parents, so to speak, or maybe, you know, their, their, their grandparents or someone that's elderly and they need to go out. They don't want them to go out and try to catch the virus. So they're going to go to the food market. They're going to go to the stores and get themselves the, the toilet paper and go get the food and go get the essentials that they need. So the elderly or those who are most susceptible to the disease won't have to have the risk, won't have to face the risk of going out and catching it from others. And I said, in that situation, sure, I get it. If you're going to be someone who's like maybe atypical, okay, I somewhat sort of kind of get it. I'm not talking about those who, look, I need some essentials or else I need food. I need something where I'm going to really need to hunker down. I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking about the fucking idiots down on spring break. I'm speaking about the teenagers and the millennials or the Gen Xers or whatever the fuck they're called who are going down on spring break in mass numbers and putting everybody at risk. And I remember listening to some of these stupid motherfuckers up there talk about, well, you know, hey, if I get coronavirus, I get coronavirus. I can handle it. It's not about you, you fucking moron. I mean, do you have anybody else in terms of someone who's elderly? You're going to come in contact when you leave when you leave for spring break or when you leave spring break, when you leave the beach and you go back to your communities. If you have the coronavirus, you are going to be spreading that shit around. And if you're so fucking stupid that you're going to go ahead and go down to this beach and be amongst a bunch of people for your own selfish reasons and be stupid and ignorant enough to ignore folks who are trying to tell you what to do so you won't get this virus, so you won't be a person who's going to spread this disease. If you're that fucking stupid, if you're that fucking ignorant, if you're that fucking selfish to where you're just going to completely ignore those folks because you want to have fun, get drunk, and get laid by somebody, you're going to bring that shit back to your fucking community. And God forbid you're around someone who might be susceptible to get some real damage or some real harm by contracting that disease. And it doesn't have to be the elderly. It doesn't have to be the weak. It doesn't have to be someone with a really weakened immune system. We're seeing cases now where people in their 20s and their 30s are dying because of this disease. And you guys are so fucking irresponsible. You're so fucking stupid. You're you're so clueless and selfish that you're going to go ahead and say, fuck it anyway. It's all about me. Fuck you. Fuck you. And that's the type of shit I'm talking about. Hey, man, I'm sorry that I'm getting angry about this. I'm sorry that I'm getting heated about this. But I just, you know, oh, you know, you know, youth, you know, youth are dumb and all this kind of stuff. You know, when you're young, you're dumb. Fuck that bullshit, man. Hey, man, we got people right now who are losing jobs. We got people right now who are losing paychecks. We got people right now who are losing lives. I don't got time to hear young and dumb as an excuse. That is no excuse. And what are those lawmakers doing down in Florida, close those fucking beaches. Get those motherfuckers out of there. Hey, man, put in martial law if you have to. Man, our society is at stake. What are you doing? So what, for the the short-term game financially? You know what the long-term ramifications are? That this virus gets out of control? And again, these folks who are down in Florida and these folks who are down in Texas at the beach, they're going to go back to their communities in Alabama and and Missouri, and California, and Seattle, and all these other places, all across the world, with the potential of carrying this virus. They're going to bring it back to their communities. They're going to bring it back to their urban areas. They're going to bring it back to their uh, rural areas. They're going to be bringing it back to those people. 
Man, we're still trying to figure out what this shit is all about. And these dumb motherfuckers are going to be sitting up there talking about, well, if I get it, I get it. That's the way it goes. Fuck you. Man, have all the, you know what? Have all those people, you know what? Party all you want to. Party all the time. Party all the time. Party all the time. Like you're Eddie Murphy. Party like in 1999, bitches. But you know what? Stay in that one area. Stay there. And let, all, and let, the, and let that virus eat their way through all of y'all. Fuck you, dumb motherfuckers. I don't want you back in our society. And these young kids are supposed to be taking care of me when I get older? When I'm too old to work? When I'm at a situation where I got a couple of marbles rolling around in my head and I don't remember who I am half the time? And I'm going to be old and fail and uh, frail and feeble? I'm going to have these dumb motherfuckers taking care of me, running the country? Yikes! Wow. Unbelievable. Unbelievable the ignorance and the stupidity. That's what it shows. That's what pandemics like this show. And again, it's not the entire group. I'm not trying to paint the entire world with this brush. But it doesn't take, I've always said this before. Hey, look, and you're a teacher. If you're an educator and you're in a classroom full of, say, let's say, for instance, 30 children, 30 students, 30 teenagers, it don't take like 27, 26 bad kids out of 30 to ruin a class. It doesn't take 22 or 23 kids to make that class that you have to go to every day and try to teach absolute misery. It doesn't take that. Out of 30 kids, it could take three. It could take four kids out of 30 to make that class miserable, to make that class horrible, to make that class trying for you to do what you need to do to try to teach those kids. You could have, in a classroom of 30 students, you could have 20 of the kids be great. Attentive, respectful, well-behaved, 20 of them. Out of 30, that's what, 66%. 66% of the students could be great. Another four or five kids could be pretty good. Every once in a while, you have to munch them a little bit. After a while, every, every once in a while, you have to steer them in back in the right direction. But for the most part, no big deal, no problem. So that's 25 out of 30 kids that are either fantastic to be with, well-behaved, pleasure to have in class, mature for their age, working, diligent, respectful of others. You can either, you know, that and those who are, for the most part, really, really good or just good kids or no problem having them in class. You could have 25 of those kids in a classroom out of 30 and that class could still be horrible. That class could still be trying. That class could still be a nightmare because of what four or five kids could do. Well, that's four or five. You get into a classroom, maybe 25, 26. I mean, I've had two or three kids in a classroom where it's kind of like, you know what? I would love to fucking shoot you right now, but I can't. And I know that I won't. But boy, you kids are fucking awesome. You're, you're awful. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're awful. <laughs> so my, my point is that, you know, for a society to be ruined, for, for a society to be negative, or it doesn't take half of society. It doesn't take most of society being selfish, being stupid, being ignorant. For something like, for, for, for a society to be ruined, it takes a very small amount. So in my rant, in my rage, am I speaking about these idiots who are down there who are ignoring what people who are experts as far as covering these viruses 
These people who are ignoring these people, these people who have their own agenda, who think that, oh, yeah, no big deal. I've got this under control. Oh, yeah, I, I listened to some quack and he's talking about, yeah, no big deal. We should be able to go back to our normal lives in two weeks. No big deal. We're overreacting. This is not that bad. This is nothing but the flu. This, that, and the other. For you guys and gals and people who are so selfish and ignorant that you'd rather listen to that and it's not about, hey, y'all, you know what? This person said, you don't want to be, you don't want to have your lifestyle interrupted. You don't want to have your freedoms taken away from you. You want to continue your same routine. So you know what you're going to do? You're going to ignore the experts and you're going to look for somebody, anybody that says this is bullshit. This is a hoax. This is overrated. This is no big deal. You're going to look and try to find anybody out there that's going to give you the confirmation to say, oh, okay, well, I can go ahead and keep doing what I'm doing. I can go ahead and I can stand right next to somebody for hours on end. I can go to this party or this club or this social gathering during St. Patrick's Day or some other days where I can go ahead and party it up because despite the fact of what this expert and the majority of the experts say, I found this one fucking quack or I found my friend of mine who listened to this one guy who's supposed to be a doctor and this, that, and the other. I found this one person who said, no, it's overblown. No, it's overrated. No, it's overreacting. No, it's no big deal. So let me go ahead and continue my everyday routine and put my fellow man, woman, and child at risk. F-U-C-K-U, you fucking bitch. Really, seriously, without question, and I'm not stuttering. Be smart. Be educated. Let's try to get through this thing together, please. Stay indoors. Only if you're going to... I mean, I don't, I don't mind... Look, I'm not... I don't mind like, like, like I'm the person in charge, right? Look, I mean... you. Social distancing, from what I understand, social distancing, not being in groups. So, hey, go ahead and take a walk or walk the dog or, you know, play with your kids or, you know, that type of thing. I, you know, I, I, I can get that. I'm going to see what I can do today if I can go ahead and try to get some type of exercise. I know that there is a there is a path or a hill about 25 miles away on the other side of town, which wears me the fuck out because it's very steep. So I'm going to try this get some exercises because I need to get my fat ass in shape and get into a shape other than outa. I'm in a shape, all right. It's called outa. I need to get into a more slimmer shape. I mean, you know, I'm feeling it, man. I'm feeling it. My fat ass is needs to do something because it's starting to affect the way that, you know, starting to affect my everyday, you know. So I need to start, you know, thinking about doing something to uh, get my heart rate up. Other than yelling and screaming at a podcast about people who are partying towns, <laughs> I need to do something else to get my heart rate up. I'm gonna die. My heart's gonna explode if I keep thinking about what these folks are doing out here. But uh, yeah, I am. Um, I, I I understand. Look, being cooped up, and I, I understand it, man. I, I get it. I understand it. But let's just be smart, you know. Let's listen to what these folks are saying, and I and I guarantee you, I guarantee you that you are not smarter than the folks who are telling us stay indoors to do this, depending upon what state you're in. I mean, what, California, Los Angeles, and and uh, New York? I mean, they're basically on lockdown, basically. I mean, they're almost 24-7. You know, out here, the strip is closed, my gym is closed, uh, movie theaters, restaurant bars, they're all closed. But you know what? I need some food. But right now, down the street where the shopping mart is, there's just too many people. There's too many people for me to go in there. I don't want to go in there because I know there's more than 50 people in there. So, you know what? I'm not going to run over people. I'm not going to put myself at risk to see what I can do to 
buy some ground turkey and some chicken legs. You know what I'm going to do instead? I'm going to go over to Kentucky Fried Chicken and buy myself a 20-piece meal. You get you get the chicken, you get the mashed potatoes, you get the biscuits. I mean, that could last me. That could last my fat ass for at least a couple of days. You know, and I can go to Popeyes. If worst comes to worst, I'll, I'll go ahead and order a, a pizza. You know, I'll get myself two large pizzas and and put those away for. I mean, two large pizzas that could last me a week if I needed to be. If I, I, I mean, the last thing I need to be doing, really, the last thing I need to be doing is eating fast food. You take a look at me. That's you know burgers, fries. No, 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 man. You need to eat a salad. You need to drink some more uh, green drinks. You need to, you know, uh, you don't, you don't need to be going to no damn fast food joint and, and getting what they're ordering and getting what they're serving. But I'm not going to be going into the local grocery stores when it's packed like that. I'm just not. So if it comes down between having to decide whether I'm going to go to McDonald's and get myself a number one or go to Carl's Jr. or Sonic and get myself a large number three, if I, if I have to do that two or three days in a row, then I have to do that. But I'm not going to go to a place where I don't know if I have the coronavirus. I, I could have it right now. I don't know. I have no idea. I feel great, but I don't know. I don't know as far as whenever this stuff came out. I have no idea. So... You know, I'm a little bit nervous about maybe I could be someone who could be going around and affecting somebody or transmitting the virus to someone who has a weakened immune system or or something. I'm trying to stay away from folks as much as possible. No old folks around me, man. Uh-uh, no way, no how. Uh-uh. I don't want that shit on my head. I don't want I don't want any of that shit on my head. If I got anybody sick, even if it was even if they were asymptomatic the fact is if i had to if i got someone sick and they had to spend two weeks quarantine and anything like that i don't want to be i don't want that over my head i don't i don't want that to be you know no no so look man the basic thing of what i'm saying as i end this and get out of here is that be smart listen listen to the experts and just from a selfish standpoint because i know that's what we go by Think about it as, you know what, the sooner this shit is over with, the sooner that we can get back to fully being our selfish selves and doing our selfish things and thinking about us without any type of ramifications or without any type of worries going on down the line. So, man, be safe, be well, be good, be strong. I'll be back soon. Got some other NFL news that I'm going to talk about the next time that we're going to be on the podcast in a couple of days because I ain't going nowhere, right? So I got a plenty of time for me to sit back, relax. A couple of movies that I want to watch, some Netflix shows that I want to watch, haven't finished watching. Might watch the assassination of Malcolm X again. Uh, Malcolm X make it plain. I want to watch that. I want to watch Dolomite. I want to watch uh, the Jimmy Hoffa movie. There's some things I want to watch. Kim Burns is just doing baseball and jazz, that series. So I got a lot of things to do where I can sit back, relax, and I also got an Uber to make a few make a few uh, dollars. So I'm going to be somewhat busy and not really dwell on the fact that uh, you know my life has been interrupted in this way. So be safe, be good, and uh, yeah, good enough for me. Music. <laughs> 